This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Happy Monday. Holy cow, crazy news out of New York. And uh, we'll be getting to that, covering a bit of that. Also talking politics today with our Joe in the Know, Washington insider Joe Cannon will be joining us. He's a good man and is uh, very, very in the know. So we're going to pick his brain about all things political. Plus uh, find out, holy cow, what is going on with this election? Donald Trump apparently has not received the memo that he is such a long shot that this can't happen. He just keeps closing in. We'll get to that as well, along with other, uh, you know, fun stories, of course, as we celebrate today, Talk Like a Pirate Day. Yo, ho, yo, ho, a pirate's life for me. When anybody gives a pirate impression, do they yeah. say anything other than "ar"? Well, do they? Do they? I don't know. The pirates say a lot of other things. I think that's all they say. Wow, arr, that's the arr, only. Arr, arr. It's the only letter in their alphabet. Mm-hmm. It's a very limited vocabulary. The pirates talk like a pirate, Dave. Founded on June 6, 1995, it was a group of men playing racquetball, and uh, they, you know, once a year would just break into pirate. This is a joke, right? No. No. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I don't believe the story at all. You don't? No. Why? It's, it's too convenient. What do you mean? I mean, have you ever just played racquetball with the buddies and thought, let's no. talk like a pirate? No. But then again, maybe that's how it did start. You don't even play racquetball. Why would I play racquetball? Because then you can celebrate Pirate Day. I was told that I have a cousin or something that made the racket that they use for racquetball. Really? Did you find that in your genealogy? No. My parents told me about it. They're probably just lying. (laughs) On the ship, we had a racquetball court on the starboard side. Yeah. Either way. It's It's hard to put racquetball in pirate talk. It just doesn't flow. No. Racquetball court. Hey, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. Hmm. Boy, where do you begin? Well, we'll get to it. We don't want to start too early. We also, um, today, we're going to be talking about uh, elections, of course. Later in the show, we'll be playing, we'll be playing some games, maybe. Hmm. They won't tell me exactly what we're doing. It's not a game. Okay, it's not a game. I will let you know, though. Is someone going to be injured? No, there would be no injuries, no muscle pulls. Could. You should be okay to leave the uh, station fully intact. Wow, good. Last night I went, we went on a drive with our family and looked at all the fall leaves. Hmm. Super fun. I used to detest that drive every year. Why? We just did it all the time. Let's go look at the leaves. Now, I know, you but mean it's sit in the back in the car, back of the car and just stare out the window? I'd rather not do that. And then I... we went on a walk. Hmm. Did you get out of the car? Yeah. That was our problem. We never left the car. Oh, no. We got out of the car. We parked and got out of the car. Walked. Collected leaves and then threw them out of our car windows as we were driving away. So you littered? Littered leaves, yeah. Oh. Just like nature. Arg. Hey, um, 
So much to talk about. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines. Sadie, what's going on around the rest of the country? The man who stabbed people at Minnesota Mall over the weekend was a soldier of the Islamic State, the terrorist group announced through its propaganda channel. The attack began a little after 8 p.m. Uh, p.m. on Saturday at the Crossroads Center Mall in St. Cloud. Police said the attacker was wearing a private security uniform and mentioned Allah during the attacks. He injured eight people before being shot by an off-duty police officer. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said Sunday morning that the bomb blast in Manhattan's Chelsea neighborhood on Saturday night was an act of terrorism, but cautioned that it was not linked to international terrorism. A bomb exploding in New York is obviously an act of terrorism, Cuomo said at a press conference, adding that there is no additional threat to New York, but there will be increased police patrol at airports and subway stations as a precaution. Republican National Committee Chairman Reince Priebus suggested on Sunday that the four more Former GOP presidential candidates who are refusing to back down Donald Trump could be punished by the party if they want to seek the White House in a future election. Those people need to get on board, Priebus said on Face the Nation. And if they're thinking they're going to run again someday, I think that we're going to evaluate the process of the nomination. But I don't think it's going to be that easy for them. And finally... Yes. Google and Chipotle have teamed up with researchers at Virginia Tech to begin testing the possibility of delivering burritos by drone. Yes. The initial test deliveries are limited to a few hundred participants on an undisclosed location on Virginia Tech property. So we don't know where exactly it is. The dorms. Maybe. Where else would they drop off burritos? <laughs> uh, the sports teams. Well, yeah. Pretty That's much true. anywhere. It's true. With the, uh, the drones. Yeah. <laughs> And there's just a few select people who have been participating, uh, but hopefully, as students said, they will. Uh, it will spread everywhere. But does it does it just drop a burrito? Is that I mean, does it fly like to your front porch and then drop the burrito bag? I don't know. There's a certain destination that they say they drop it to. I don't know if it lands and releases the cargo, or if it releases it mid-flight, or if it has some sort of does it just hover until you come in and it gets yeah. facial recognition. That's Will they it. also be delivering babies now? Storks. It's going right. to This is going to put storks. storks out of business. Yeah. This is sad. Yeah. Well, man, Sadie, thanks. That's a that's I guess a, an advancement. Mm. But why don't they just use those launchers and just shoot them out over? You know, like a t-shirt yeah. cannon. Yeah, like a t-shirt burrito cannon. cannon. Mm. That would be cool. And then you if you catch it, it's free. Pieces of burrito everywhere. If you don't catch it. You got to pay for it. The um, the crazy thing about the drones too is, or the neat thing I guess is that the pharmacies could then later send Pepto Bismol mm-hmm. and other you know antacids. That, that is one of the uses that people keep pointing to is you have uh, hard to get to areas. You can get medicine there with a drone better than you can maybe with a car. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. So we'll see if it actually happens. Well, I don't know. Someday you'll be able to get a Chipotle burrito anywhere. On a deserted island, there won't even be deserted islands anymore because there will be drone access everywhere. So Every the, island will have a drone landing port. So the pirates will be happy. Exactly. Hey, okay, help educate me. Mm. What is going on in New York? Somebody's running around with pipe bombs. It's, Unless it's that's in New Jersey. In New York, they are pressure cooker bombs full of like nails, ball bearings, and crushed up Christmas lights. Really? That's what I read. 25, I guess, people injured. Yes. They're all out of the hospital. Good. Okay. It's all kind of superficial type of injuries, but the whole point was to create shrapnel and just cause as much damage as possible. And now they are, but they're on a manhunt after a, a, the police have named a suspect now. They have videos of a guy that's been on some of those scenes. 
And they're hunting him down. They found, what, a, a pipe bomb and a garbage can during a, uh, just before a 5K run in New Jersey on Saturday. And then later this weekend, they found a backpack with four or five more. There's mm. video of the uh, police trying to detonate it with a robot. And as they're moving the backpack into position to, you know, set it down, one of the bombs went off. So the robot was probably messed up. But well, and, and again, and then there was video of this one guy dropping off a bag and then two other guys taking the pressure cooker out of the bag and then just running away with the bag. Yeah. They don't know if those two people were involved, but they definitely did want the bag. <laughs> What's this pressure cooker? <laughs> They're left, by this. the way, holding the bag. No pun intended. Pun intended. But yeah. um, So the report crazy. I saw this morning was that some law enforcement officials are saying or speculating or that there is an active terror cell. Hmm. in the New, New Jersey, New York area that's operating, and they're trying to shut that down. And so so that was in New Jersey, New York, and then over in Minneapolis, a guy uh, is stabbing a bunch of people and was killed. And ISIS claimed responsibility for that attack yeah. in Minneapolis. So that they flat out said, that was our guy. That's our guy. And he was shot by an off-duty police officer. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. I'm telling you. Crazy times. Other than that, nothing happened. Other than that, a very calm day. And everyone else was watching the Emmys. Did you watch the Emmys? I did not. Jeffrey, did you watch the Emmys? No, I totally forgot they were on. Yeah, me too. I'm not big into the Emmys. Did Better Call Saul win anything? No. Then I don't care. (laughs) Better Call Saul. I didn't. I'm not. I don't. I'm not into that. Hmm. Jeb Bush was huge. Let's uh, play clips. He was in the open. He was in the open with Jimmy Kimmel and appeared, you know, doing another duty that he might not be used to. There's plenty of room up front. Oh, thank you. He's a limo driver. You're a lifesaver. Thank you, sir. Hey, you're driving? Yeah, I'm in between jobs right now. You know you can make $12 an hour driving for Uber? I do not know that, but that's great. I have to get downtown to the Emmys. Are you nominated? I am, yeah. Wow. What's that like? It's nice. <laughs> nice. You think you can win? Well, there's a lot of competition and uh, probably not. Well, here's what I know. If you run a positive campaign, the voters ultimately will make the right choice. You know, it's funny you say that. My psychic... Jimmy, that was a joke. Get out of the car. And shave that wig off your face, you godless Hollywood hippie. Wow. <laughs> Jim exclamation point. And he drove away in a limo yeah. with, uh, it looks like his brother, or the, his ex-presidential brother's limousine. Oh, I'm not sure. Because it, it, it also had police following Yeah, I it. saw the flashing lights. I'm and sure it had flags on it. So I think he was probably driving someone's limo. Yeah. Um, boy, that was, they loved that. People, Called him a godless Hollywood hippie yeah. and then drove away. I'm going to do that more often. Yeah, apparently. And then I'll say, Terry, exclamation point, pound the steering wheel and floor it. And get out it's of It's really the best way to leave any situation. It seems like the commercials were better received than other things. Yes. Uh, the Netflix had a big commercial about all of the powerful women in and all the powerful women in positions on their shows. Yeah. I don't know how to, else to put that. They... It was every See, main head's leading and when, woman. When you, when you do that, you just scare the men. So mm-hmm. that's never going to be productive. Like everyone says that that was the best thing, better than the dresses, yeah, better the, than the the women said that. Yeah. yeah, the men are scared. The men are terrified. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, back to politics. Oh. It's getting ugly. <clears throat> er. 
Yeah. It was ugly before. Reince Priebus, Priebus is big time saying, hey, you don't sell, you don't take care of Don, you don't uh, follow and support Donald Trump, then you may not be put forward as a candidate next time. We're going to run people against you. Like you're out of the family. You're out. Let's play the clip on that one. That one is scary. But look, people who agreed to support the nominee that took part in our process, they used tools from the RNC. They agreed to support the nominee. They took part in our process. We're a private party. We're not a public entity. Mm -hmm. Those people need to get on board. If they're thinking they're going to run again someday, you know, I think that we're going to evaluate the process of the nomination process, and I don't think it's going to be that easy for them. Hmm. And then right after the the guy in CBS interview him, he goes, John Kasich? And he goes, yeah, if he wants to run again, it's going to be very difficult for him. He made a pledge. He was going to support the nominee, whomever that was. Yeah. And now he won't do it. Hmm. Is this the message you want to be sending? It's what he's sending. But I don't know. Every other day you get a you get a rumor coming out of the RNC that they're just fed up with Donald Trump and mm-hmm. they're telling him he needs to fix his image or they're going to take away funding or I don't know. But now that he's moving up in the polls, it's kind of like win at all costs here. I guess. Even they if they see an opportunity, they want it. Hmm. That's kind of crazy. Boy, a big thing. We did finally fix the entire birther movement. It's uh, it's done. It's taken care of. Donald comes out, admits that Obama is a citizen. And Obama, boy, super relieved. Hillary Clinton and her campaign of 2008 started the birther controversy. I finished it. I finished it. You know what I mean. President Barack Obama was born in the United States, period. Now we all want to get back to making America strong and great again. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was the only thing that was in the way of making America great again. Yeah, that was it. But he, he's throwing it back on Hillary Clinton, saying it was Hillary, it was her people. Sid Blumenthal was emailing about it back in 08 or whatever. Now, the campaign never officially came out and said, you know, is he a citizen? It yeah. was supporters of her. It was people who were ticked off after she was out of the race and Obama was the choice and they didn't want that. Mm-hmm. They kept this, this going. This is driving so. the press crazy, though, because they're they're saying, no, I mean – he, Donald, this is a bunch of hooey. Donald, Donald's the one that started it. But I think we really need to look at the real victim of the entire thing, President Obama, who, who really has a sense of relief now. And that's the best audio you're going to get in a room full of cameras making noises they don't really need to make. I know, yeah. They're all digital cameras, aren't they? <laughs> They're digital. You don't need to have Let's the shutters off. Yeah. Come on. 
So okay. he said, he he goes, you know, I knew pretty confident where I was born. Let's just move on from this. He said that multiple times. In one of his speeches, he was like, "Woo, now I can relax. <laughs> it's, I mean, again, and everyone keeps saying Donald's the one that kept bringing it up. He did back for a while, but... Then it seems like once the birth certificate came out, he just didn't care. But then people would ask him and he'd answer it. Yeah, he, he would never just say, yeah, he's from the United States. Come on. He'd no. never just say it. Just say it. Man. And even by the way that he said it, yeah. he was just sort of, oh, fine. But whatever, it's, whatever. there's no further discussion as to why he kept, why he believes it, why he kept believing it, that kind of thing. There's no, be no discussion there. No questions. And that was at the hotel – where they had the press conference, his new hotel in D.C. Yeah. There was a whole other situation where they go to go on a, a tour of the hotel, and then he tells the media that they invite to this event that was basically a promotion for the hotel. And they're told that the uh, like reporters can't follow the cameraman on the tour. And so they don't do that because the second you don't have editorial oversight over the camera, then all of a sudden it just turns into a promotional infomercial. So they pulled all the cameras and everybody left. The entire press pool just left really? the event. Interesting. And Trump got no promotion. He was – instead of a press conference, because a press conference implies questions. Right. They just made that – he made that announcement, walked off the stage, and then they went on a tour. He, so he didn't hotel. get any promotional value no. for his property that's, while running for president. That's what he was trying to do. Well, he actually did because CNN ran it for about a half hour waiting for him to come up onto the stage to talk. Did they serve water? I don't know Trump what they water? did. And then as soon as they walked off the stage, apparently the stage crashed and fell apart because it was too many people on the stage at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how fun it all is. This is, uh, this is just sidetracked, right? Aren't we just not focusing on the right things anymore? Well, in a minute, Joe Cannon will be joining us. Joe in the know, we call him. Going to take a little inside look at uh, politics, see what he thinks about the latest polls with Donald Trump and where this is all heading. Stick with us. Matt Townsend Show. the Matt Townsend Show. Anytime you hear the song Political World by Bob Dylan, you know Joe Cannon is uh, is going to be nearby. And Joe is on the phone with he's uh, on the phone with us. He's the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. And we bring him on the show because we call him Joe in the know. He is he, he just knows a lot of people, knows a lot of things, knows a lot about politics, served as past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was a candidate for Senate and also was editor of a of a major newspaper well i mean a major intermountain newspaper and the big deal about joe is he just he knows what's going on in in the political world and we like to pick his brain to just see what on earth is happening joe cannon welcome to the show my friend thanks matt thanks for having me did you uh have you had a good weekend yeah yeah i've had a pleasant weekend now you're uh you just i'm sure totally riveted by what's going on with the Donald Trump Hillary Clinton campaign. What is does has Donald not received the memo that he's not really in the game because he keeps getting it moving up in the polls. 
No, I mean, uh, it was, of course, we said for more than a year now, uh, the unbelievable, in a literal way, unbelievable phenomenon of Donald Trump, and he keeps uh, surprising everybody, and now all of a sudden, everyone's nervous. You know, <laughs> the, uh, everyone on the Democrat side is just very nervous. There's a box, which is a you know, fairly left-wing publication, just says, how panicked should Democrats be about Donald Trump's surge? Yeah. And then they interview a bunch of people, and they're all pretty nervous he's uh he's he's up in florida on the real clear politics averages he's up in florida he's up in ohio um he's up in iowa he's gaining in colorado he's almost there in nevada he's almost there in north carolina it's crazy actually the most recent polls in 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 Nevada and Colorado, has him ahead. Wow! It's, it's the average. Uh, there are a couple of polls that show him ahead. Right. And get those. Uh, well, and so what is it? Because he's <laughs> he's so polarizing, and he has so affected so many people uh, in negative ways. And then the, all the talk about how he's not going to receive the women vote, the female vote. So. What's right now? Do you think in the last two three weeks is it just Hillary slipping? Is it her pneumonia? What is it? Um, well, it's partly her slipping. Excuse me, I'm sorry. It's partly her slipping, and it's partly him coming up. I mean, you've got, you've got. Well, I don't know. I mean, you always say I'm an expert. I don't know if anyone's an expert. In That's this right. Situation, well, especially but, with this one, yeah. If you look at uh, some of the things that are happening, a he's sort of been on his medicine the last several weeks, so with a little bit of a aberration last week where he's moving, moving, moving in the right direction and then, I guess, decides to uh, remind everybody about the birther thing. And, <laughs> and I, I agree. We don't know who brought it up, but wh- wh- however it came up, his uh, refusal to definitively deny it right. for some time just sort of was like weird. But And we don't have any polls. I don't think any polls, at least I haven't seen any that, that might reflect that. So we'll see in the next several days. But so, but, but one thing is he's been on his medicine. So he is kind of a, been kind of a normal guy. He's given normal talks. He's uh, he's come out with some sort of novel ideas about you know women's leave, uh, paternity leave, um, and so he's doing a lot of things that, by the way, frankly seem a little bit political. Right. Uh, so. Uh, he's maybe he's learning that oh it is a it's like a political campaign maybe I need to uh, act that way. And, and the other thing I think that's happening is he's sort of giving permission to a lot of Republican voters to come back hmm. to come to him. You know he's, he's sort of saying uh, the uh, uh, I I am one of you. I'm you know he's giving talks to Republican groups. He's fundraising. So he's sort of giving a permission to a lot of. Republican Trump skeptics. Hmm. Yeah, he's like he's letting him in. Know. He's not he's not an aberration as much as he used to be. Well, that's another thing is success is its own reward sometimes. And the fact that he's kind of moving in the right direction, I think a, a lot of Republicans are saying, well, maybe we ought to get on this bandwagon. Maybe there's a chance there. So you have a lot of those factors. But kind of one thing that's interesting now. I don't know how seriously to take this L.A. Times poll. It's really different from all the rest of the polls. Um, But a lot of serious people look at it. The the biggest 
stunning fact in the last few iterations of this poll, which is like a daily update of, I think, 30,000 people. But he's gone from, like, nothing, literally nearly zero percent of the black vote to nearly 19 percent in the last couple of iterations. And the Latino vote is uh, actually maintained fairly steady. Again, this is just in this poll of uh, about 33%. Now, if in some universe those two numbers actually were real, it's almost impossible to see how uh, Hillary Clinton wins. Um, which is why which is why the president is is claiming, you know, if if the black voters don't turn out for for Hillary, it will be an insult to his presidency. Right, he they have to do they President Obama to preserve his, his uh, legacy, really, really, uh, Secretary Clinton's whole pitch is that she's the third term. And that gives her big benefits and gives her some liabilities. But in any case, what really has to happen for that to happen is you have to have the Obama constituency come out, A, and B, in as strong in numbers. And that the latter doesn't look like it's happening in a lot of states. So, so there's a there's a, a big effort to, you know, to chin that up. Hmm. Is I guess when we when we are looking at this, the, there's two sides of the coin. Some of it's Trump's you know machinations, his maneuverings, uh, some of his policy, like you say, the maternity leave and the fact that he's taking his meds, um, and he's 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 towing the line. He's being more presidential more something somebody that we can accept more as a candidate but then hillary clinton had some major missteps with her health issues i mean how much do we really need to let people into our lives to to be president how do we need them to know all of our medical history and records well i don't know they need to know all of them uh, all of it but it's certainly a fair question, and and most over over history, over recent history, not long history, but recent history, uh, presidential candidates have been pretty candid about their health. Uh, in this case, you've got two relatively old. Of course, I don't think they're old. Right. I'm in that same <laughs> neck of the woods, but, but they are. They would in, in either case, they would be the oldest president take office, and uh, so yeah, you you think it's a fair thing. Uh, and I, you know, everyone comments on this, or this is no big new insight, but it's just perplexing why she wouldn't be a little more forthcoming until really forced to. Mm. And then even when forced to, you know, a fair amount of dissembling so that even people who support her are wondering, look, you're, you're hurting yourself. You're, you're damaging yourself by this. So I don't know that definitely that that hurt her. And also, we don't know the depth of how much this hurt, but it's clear that uh, calling calling really deep and serious names to a big chunk of oh. Trump's constituency, I, I don't know that it added many people, but it, it definitely galvanized his base in, in a base in, in areas where she can't afford it. You know what? I think I think that uh, that might be a bigger point, right? That you can't. What was the exact phrase she used? 
It was oh, uh, a, ba- a, ba- a basket full of deplorables. 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 And then she listed what those deplorables yeah. were homophobes, racists. And, 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 and also alluded to the fact that half of his following were deplorables. So, right, right. So, I mean, again, that's a statement that it seemed like was a fatal error of the Romney campaign, the 47 percent. And it, and it seemed to prove, you know. The end of his candidacy, or it's where the the air started going out. Is 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 the air going out, and we're just not hearing it because of the deplorables comment? Um, but I, I don't I don't, I don't see, I, think I, it impacted I, her as much. I don't think it impacted her as much in the national polling, and I think people are trying to equate it to the Romney statement. I don't I don't think it's the same. First of all, he was to the extent he really was in fact referring to anybody. It was half of the whole population, not 25% of the population, of, of which there are no Hillary voters. Right. So I, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see that there's an equivalence here between the two, but it definitely galvanized uh, Trump supporters, and that leads to, you know, the, the, there's a perceived enthusiasm gap between the Republicans and the Democrats on this. And so... Uh, a surge, if you will, of, of Republican voters, especially in certain states, is going to be bad, like Ohio and Pennsylvania. Mm. I mean, so. to 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 get deplo- to be titled deplorable, and I don't know. I thought there would have been more backlash in the media as well, but it didn't seem well, no, like no, because well, you know, she said a perfectly sensible thing to her audience. Right. And most of the media, just to be fair, have that exact same view. They're so, in that audience. So it wasn't particularly newsworthy to lots and lots and lots of people in in the the Hillary Clinton class of people. Or even, by the way, even in a lot among a lot of Republicans say well, yeah that, that, yeah, that does describe a lot of people, and and there have been a, there were a spate of stories after that of, of various uh, mostly liberals across the board say, well, what's so remarkable about what she said that she's just stating a fact. <laughs> so right. it's not, I, I don't equate it with with the Romney statement on the one hand. On, on the other hand, if you're in that deplorables category, or if you just don't like people who don't like people like you. Uh, even if you're not in the deplorables category, you could be pretty galvanized around that statement. Hmm. And yet that that may be providing some of the changes in the polling number, but it's also, I mean, there, it's like multiple things like you were saying. Um, yeah, I, I don't see that particular thing. At least I haven't seen a poll or something that's looked at it with enough specificity. Hmm. I think that's more of the sort of ground game, what, what's going to actually happen on election day I th- I think that that will be telling for her. Like I said, in, in certain states, uh, parts of Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Ohio, maybe Michigan. I don't personally see Michigan as in play. But a lot of people do. I, I don't see it there. But if it were in play, that would be that would definitely be a state where that that. Uh, just remember, George Wallace running as a Democrat won the Michigan primary in 1972. Hmm. He had to have a lot of deplorables voting for him for that to happen. 
Yeah, right. Right. Okay, Joe, stick with us. We'll take a break, come back and continue the discussion, uh, hopefully get into a little bit about the upcoming presidential debate. Should the third party be allowed in? Is it the same kind of party without him? We'll be back talking politics with Joe Cannon. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us is Joe Cannon. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. You can go to fuelfreedom.org. Find out uh, the efforts that his organization is making to lower fuel costs here in the United States for all of us, which we appreciate, Joe. And uh, thank you again for being Joe in the know. Thanks, Matt. What if you didn't know anything, Joe? Uh, you know, I feel like the older I get, I used to know everything, and now I'm not sure I know anything. So <laughs> no. It's a function of age. That might be the sign of wisdom, Joe. You're, you're getting, you're becoming more wise, even more wise, because you know how little you know. Hey, um, what do you think about? Uh, well, Hillary obviously chomping at the bit, ready to go into these debates on next Monday. Trump, everyone, you know, thinks he'll be great. I guess at debating Hillary, it seems like Hillary's going to know a lot more about the issues than Donald. Donald just seems to kind of have some overarching statement. Hillary seems to know a lot of the minutia, maybe too much as a wonk. What what are you expecting in these debates? And, and by the way, Gary Johnson, not eligible. Neither of the other uh, third party, you know, offerings are eligible for the debate. Right. Well, there's a whole bunch packed into that. Uh, um, I do think Hillary will be more prepared. I think the bar, I think I'm stating pretty much conventional wisdom here, the bar is going to be higher for her than him. All he has to do is not be Donald, and he wins. Mm. (laughs) Uh, If he somehow avoids beating her up or appearing to beat her up and be kind of small and vindictive, and he just sort of sticks to some issues and sounds a little bit presidential, then he probably doesn't just get a pass. He probably wins. Mm. It's just, in a way, it seems sort of unfair. On the other hand, no one has ever been right. Who knows what's going to happen in that debate? Maybe maybe she'll have enough zingers for him that put him so off balance that he becomes, he reverts to the Donald we all know uh, <laughs> from the past. And, yeah. And, you know, that would put him in a bad situation. It will it will be the most interesting debate to watch. Probably not the most substantive debate to watch, but it'll be very interesting to see how each player plays plays that particular game. She because the talk was always that she was going she was meeting with people, psychologists to figure out how to get under his skin. And um so, you know, they're gonna try to they're gonna try to poke the tiger. <laughs> Yeah, although he's probably thinking the same thing, and probably his people are all telling him, Kellyanne Conway, saying, don't fall for it, don't fall for it. Just, you know, stick to some set of talking points, some set of issues that you think are important, and uh, tie her to President Obama. I don't know what their strategy is, but but surely people on his side are saying, don't, don't go full Donald on us here. Hmm. And... People on her side are saying, let's make sure he goes full Donald on us. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. What do you think about Gary Johnson? Um, Is it – it seems like 
we would be better served to have another another party in there. So it's a three or four person debate. Yeah, no, I, I understand that view. I I'll just go be totally candid here. I believe in a two party system. If you don't like the two party system, go to Italy, <laughs> go to Israel, go to France, go to countries where they have multiple parties and they have these crazy. Of course, they have parliamentary systems. There are a lot of differences, but uh, but I like the two party system, and I don't. These the third parties never made a difference. Well, they made a difference. So that's a that's a true. Bill Clinton owes his victory in in at least uh, 1992 to Ross Perot, uh, and it could well be that uh, Donald Trump owes his victory to third party candidates. I mean, it just depends on mm. on how things tee up. But having said that, I I don't think that they have a place on the states. They're not policymakers, neither one of them is going to be president. So we're not, it's, you're choosing between two people. One, it's either going to be President Clinton or President Trump. Period. Yeah. yeah. And so let's, let's showcase that. Let's give us, give everybody uh, a full opportunity to hear and decide that, that question without the distraction of, of a third party. So, but, but again, I know plenty of people who I respect think that, that's a very wrong position, but I'm sorry. It's yeah. like I say, if you like if you like multiple parties, go to Italy. What, uh, what, what do you think about the whole debate about the moderators and who should be allowed on stage? Why don't we just have college professors do the debate? Neutral, you know, I, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Surely there have been mistakes in the past, and everybody can point to the Candy Crowley right. partisanship, but I think by and large, the debates have been handled pretty well. Uh, I, you know, people complain, there are all these little tactical things, but at the end of the day, there are two people up there, and they're going to say what they want to say without regard to what the moderators ask. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it, they're, they're going to make their pitches, they've got their talking points, they've got the, the impressions, the feelings they want to leave, and they're going to get that through, I, I think. And generally, that's been the case. Do you, do you, um, do, do debates make a difference, do you sense? Do they shift the needle much? Oh, I, I think you can point to lots of cases in the past where debates have played a very key role in the outcome. I, I think Ronald Reagan became president because of the Carter-Reagan debate. Uh, I think the uh, I, I guess I don't think that Kennedy quote won the debate and therefore won, but a lot of people, a lot of smart people, do think that. In this particular case, there is a, a high chance that one way or the other, this will be a pivotal moment in American politics. Uh, you could easily make a, a scenario where people watch the debate go, "Oh man, I was right. Trump is an idiot." I got to go with Hillary. Yeah. Or you can say, man, I was wrong. Hillary is weaker than I thought, and Trump is actually pretty good. I mean, there, there's that kind of volatility out there that I, I do think this will be one of the most, if not the most consequential debate. I put in scare quotes around debate because what it really is is going to be a full-on presentation of the two major candidates in all of their glory. Yeah. And they're going to they're going to strive to make the case for themselves. But 
in a in a weird way, each of them has the potential in and of themselves to do something that could really, really damage them in either case. There are, there are possibilities on either side of that. So it's just, yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch more, oh, yeah. more interest than I usually have. Boy, Hillary, she just can't have a coughing fit. You, you just well, can't break down and start having a coughing fit. And the pressure of... I mean, the health issues as well as just knowing that you don't know what Donald Trump's going to say. This guy will say anything. Right. It's, uh, we've said this before. It's the, you know, the monkey with the machine gun. <laughs> you know, what, what do you do? It's so true. So I don't know how she prepares. I'm, I don't know how he's preparing. You know, he's got a lot of smart people working with him. So... Uh, and he wants to win. I think he wants to win, which has been evidence in the last several weeks where he's been acting pretty much like a, a normal uh, presidential candidate. Does Is that – I attribute that to Kellyanne Conway. It seems like ever since she took over, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, a lot of people say that, and I, I guess I believe that too. She, she's a very smart person. I know her a little bit. We both trained under the master of all Republican pollsters, Richard Worthley. Mm. And, uh, you know, she's smart. She's smart. And she may be the right person having the right touch yeah. with, uh, with the Donald. Yeah, she, she's, she's the lion tamer. <laughs> she's the one that can take the chair and the whip and probably go in there and get the lion to dance. So there's that. Uh, you know, you hear a lot about Roger Ailes. Roger Ailes is a master of media, and he's apparently giving advice, although then that's denied. Who knows? But hmm. For sure, they've been pals for a lot of years. And, and uh, whereas a lot of people say CNN is the Clinton News Network, there's no question that Fox has been, by and large, the Trump News Network. Right. Uh, so, you know. Wow. What what should we be paying attention to, Joe, going forward? I, Anything we're missing? Know, I, I don't want to hijack your show, but there are actually two big anniversaries what? last week. One is 9-11, which yeah. I want to talk about for a second. The other was Constitution Day. Saturday is the 17th. Uh, September 17th is Constitution Day, which after the convention, after they came out, somebody asked uh, Frank, uh, Benjamin Franklin, what, what happened? He said, well, we've given you a republic if you could keep it. Huh. So a, couple, a couple of centuries on, a couple of centuries plus on, we're looking at, uh, could we keep it? I don't yeah. know. Uh, I think the founders would be dumbfounded if they were alive today. But then the other thing is, weirdly, last week I was in New York, and my hotel was just a, a couple of blocks away from the new uh World Trade Tower and the memorial, the 9-11 memorial. I remember my wife and I were in 2004, we're in New York City at the Omni, I don't know, it's called the Millennium Hilton Hotel, which literally looked over the cavity of mm. one of the uh, towers. And like our room, we just looked out, you look right down, you're looking at a big hole in the ground from the towers. And that's all been transformed and really a beautiful monument, beautiful architecture. It's just, you know, put me in, but it put me personally in mind of a lot of things. All of the funding for those uh, people who were in the planes came from Saudi Arabia and from oil money. Right. 
Our money that we put in our gas tanks is going. Most of the terrorism in the world today is funded by oil money. And I just say if, if, if Iraq and Iran and Libya and Kuwait were all the world's largest broccoli producers, <laughs> I don't think my son-in-law, my wonderful son-in-law, who is in the Big Red One, all of your military listeners will know what that is. It's the, the oldest fighting unit infantry division of the uh, U.S. Army. He's been deployed in, in Kuwait and going to be deployed again. I don't think he'd be deployed if we were dealing with broccoli yeah, and oil. The broccoli fight. Yeah, and second, my a sign of mine was in the Capitol uh, on 9/11 was evacuated, and you know it's very possible that his life was saved by those brave people at Flight 93 who who caused that plane to crash in Pennsylvania right. and not on Capitol Hill. So I had a lot to think about last week. Mm. Uh, um, about 9-11, as, as did everybody. It, it was really touching walking around that memorial. Lots of people, you could see, thinking about it. And, you know. so those, yeah, those that's beautiful. We uh, commemorated last week, 9-11. Well, thank you, Joe, too, Day. for bringing him up. I mean, you know, the, the that's why you're in the know. You keep us focused on what's so important and bring a great spirit as well. We all should be remembering 9-11 and, hello, Constitution Day. Appreciate Joe Cannon and the great work he's doing there at uh, fuelfreedom.org as well. Go check out that website. Find out uh, how he can uh, and how they're trying to work to lower your fuel costs here. Get rid of the fuel, maybe. Um, Just run it all on broccoli. You're lucky to be an American, my friends. Blessed. We'll take a break and uh, continue the discussion in just a minute. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's it's life, right, that all of a sudden we, as Joe brings up, 9-11 commemorated uh, and, and we celebrated really the the taking back of the ground that was destroyed on 9-11 and uh, the rebuilding of the buildings, but also just the heart, the culture, and uh, the sense of American strength, again, rebuilt in New York City. And then this weekend, bombings, 25 injured, stabbings in Minneapolis, many injured there as well. And it's easy to, again, throw everybody under the bus, start, you know, forcing fear and pushing just insecurity for all of us. We can handle this. We can handle it. We just have to handle it. And that, I think, if there's any lesson we are all learning when it comes down to this presidential election, there's very real big decisions that have to be made. You may not trust, you may not like, you may not believe in a lot of what these candidates are doing, but in the end, they are going to be the leader. And they're going to have to uh, lead all of us. So get ready. Get involved. Start listening. Start learning. There's time to still become informed and to choose the candidate uh, that you feel would represent and protect this country the best. But also remember, too, a lot of people have gone before you to make uh, your life what it is today. So make sure you're always thanking God for that great blessing. We'll take a break. Come back. Hour number two of The Matt Townsend Show up next. Thank you. 
The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Hour number two of the program. This is the show where we give you the tools, the information you need to lead a healthier, happier life. Today, no exception, we will be replaying uh, an interview with Dr. Anna Hartley about um, how to have the wrong personality for the job. Some people get hired and they just don't have the right personality for the job, and it's going to end up costing you folks. So you got to make sure you want the job, but also we got to make sure we're hiring the right people for the for the position, don't we? There is a reason that 70% of the, the employees are disengaged. Some of it might be simple hiring practices. It's just that life isn't as easy as it used to be back in the old days when there were pirates. Today, by the way, is Talk Like a Pirate Day. Once there was a pirate who sang a pirate song. Then interrupting the pirate, a big shark came along. What? You'd hear yo ho ho This is the uh, Silly Pirate song. If, by the way, somebody comes in singing this song for your job interview, I'd I'd say no. I wouldn't hire him. This is the song Terry sang in his interview when we were trying to look for a new producer. Do you remember that? No. You sang the Silly Pirate song? Nope. You had the eye patch on? Did not. You're saying that, but you don't mean it. No, I, I do. I did not sing. I didn't wear an eye patch. Still in denial. <sighs> yeah, admitting you have a problem is the beginning of solving it. Today. I don't have a problem. A pirate problem. Hey, uh, crazy day in the news. Our prayers go out to those in New Jersey, New York, with those bombings. Also in Minneapolis, where you are uh, with the stabbings as well. It's just, again puts right at the forefront of all of this, are we safe as a population? Are we dealing with our problems? Are we even able to talk about our problems uh, with terrorism? ISIS, apparently ISIS took credit for the stabbings in Minneapolis. Yeah. He was one of their guys. Well. They're saying. To whatever extent they took it, you know, took credit. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard when they do that because is that person from here? Do they truly have like marching orders, or do they just take it upon themselves to act? Yeah, they're just the, maybe maybe the lone wolf. Yeah, kind of act, but nonetheless they then they claim it. Yeah, we'll take it. Claim, yeah, well, that one's ours. But they're not making a claim yet on the New York. Not which that seems I've seen. Interesting. Yeah, because that was that impacted twenty five lives. That's a big deal. But they didn't want credit of it. Apparently not. Okay. Well, maybe because it wasn't as effective. Yeah. They only, they only take the good ones. But they are on a manhunt in New York to get the guy. They've to get at least somebody they know was involved or somewhat involved. They they saw him at the scene. Right. So they're doing a manhunt there. So we'll get to that as well. But first to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? 
The birther issue is over, GOP vice presidential nominee Mike Pence said Sunday, two days after Donald Trump acknowledged for the first time that President Obama was born in the United States. ABC News asked Pence why it took this long for Trump to acknowledge the fact that Obama was born in the U.S. The Indiana governor called the birther issue a distraction from Clinton's dishonesty and her disastrous record on the foreign stage. The two bombs left in the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan on Saturday night were designed to create maximum chaos and fatalities, law enforcement officials told told the New York Times. One bomb exploded, injuring 29 people, while the other did not detonate. The officials said the bombs were filled with fragmentation materials, including small bearings or metal BBs, and made with pressure cookers, flip-flops, and Christmas lights. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said on Sunday, so far, there is no evidence of an international terrorism connection with this incident. A new CBS poll shows the race is tightening. Trump and Clinton are tied with 42% each across the combined battlegrounds. She was up one point last week and two points up over Labor Day weekend. Of note, 47% of those polled believe Trump will bring change to Washington compared to just 20% who think Clinton would do the same. Clinton does lead 47 to 39% on being trusted to handle the daily demands of the job. And finally. Yes. So in honor of Talk Like a Pirate Day. Yes. Um, Krispy Kreme, I'm just making this as an announcement across the country, uh, will be offering free donuts to those who are willing to talk or even dress like a pirate. If you talk like a pirate, you get a free donut. If you dress up like a pirate, you get a whole box of donuts. Holy cow. And this is available at participating Krispy Kreme locations across the United States. Get me an eye patch. You're welcome, America. That Your is... day is so much better now. Thank you, Sadie. That's such good news. So Sadie's got an hour... To go oh, yeah. down there and do it. Did you notice she has a hook? She has a hook on her hand right now. This is going to be a great day. Go get those for us, Sadie, and then and I'll then some, go down and get some more for us because I've got my puffy Do you want me to stop and get Cronuts, too, on. while I'm down there? Yes, if you could grab some Cronuts on the way. Excellent. They're one of the sponsors of the show. Cronuts. So good, you'll walk over a dead body. Mm. It's a weird phrase. It is. They're it, testing it in certain markets. <laughs> yeah. But it totally works. We've got a great show, again, celebrating Pirate Day. But more than that, uh, we'll be talking about how to make sure what, – what questions should you ask to make sure you're hiring the right person? Mm. Just because their resume says something like, hey, I'm the right person. Yeah. Hire me. As I sat in the meeting with, with you and others mm-hmm. when I was hired, I, first the fact that there were others. There was quite a few people in that room. Yeah. We well, part of that was brown bag lunch day. Is that what it was? Yeah, Everyone people just were just there, there doing. Some were just having their lunch in that meeting room. It's like the lunch room slash yeah. conference room. Okay, and then yeah, so I, I don't know why they were there. I had to meet with you and Don multiple times. Yeah, I think you thought my personality was so great. Yeah, we loved your personality that uh, you wanted to meet with me multiple times. And then I liked how you always used to want you wanted to act out your resume. <laughs> that was neat, Jeff. I mean, a lot of guys just like let you look at their, your your own paper with your. And this resume. is if Shakespeare wrote it. Yeah, he launches into that. It's like it Mac, it's like Macbeth, uh-huh. but your resume very dramatic. <laughs> the death scene at the end I heard was great. It was incredible. Was it, it went a little long. Okay, I mean, it took him what? It takes you like five minutes to die. He indulged a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, but it did. Dawn did wipe away a tear. Mm. That's really when you know you've really hit a home run in the Nailed interview, it. when the interviewer cries. And then, then Jeff stands up and says, and scene. Was, and then he bows. It was great. It was so cool. Do you remember that, Jeff? That, that's the moment I knew you were the guy. 
Vaguely, I vaguely remember that. I was dying, as you said. That's so true. I was very focused on that. Yeah. He's, he's method. He was in the, the character at the time. Mm-hmm. But, okay. I mean, that is difficult. You bring somebody in. You have an idea who you're looking for. Yeah. What questions do you ask to get to the person you want? And it might not be that we are even doing it the right way, right? I mean, it's we've done it this way forever, but is that how you really choose who will work with, best with a team? Right. Yeah. Now they're trying to automate it with computers, and is that really the best way? And I don't know. I think you miss a lot of prime candidates because they misspelled something in the resume mm-hmm. and you just toss it out. Yeah, or they, yeah, they, they never, you never had to see them in action. You never got to see them dealing with the team. My wife's office will look at resumes. They have you include a photograph and they just go, nope, nope. Really? Wow. <laughs> well, they get about 400 resumes. So yeah. they have to narrow it down somehow. You just don't look right. That seems wrong. So they, 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 they toss out. If you include a photograph, they toss it out. I would like. They don't want you to have a photograph at all because you're not supposed to, but people do. They include a photograph. So they they see a photograph, they toss it. You've already violated the rule. Then they go through the resume. Well, at that point, you're biased, right? Because you've seen who they are and you've just made some sort of irrational judgment Mm -hmm. based on their photograph. He's bald. Goodbye. Yeah. I want people with hair. Right. So then they go through the resume and look for things that would qualify or disqualify. It's just really fast. I don't know how they do it. Yeah, I don't At like. At least effectively. I don't so, like hiring. We'll people. talk about that in a minute. What's the worst Resumes. interview you've had? On the radio or in my personal job <laughs> Not that you've life. conducted, that you've been a part of. Um Well, I've had I've had people I've interviewed that I thought, "Really? Like did you not even think this through?" People are pretty self-destructive. You got to think ahead. If you're going in for a job, think ahead. <laughs> you got to think, no like, when to stop talking. Yeah, no. There's been points where I'm talking, like, why am I still talking? Why well, did I just say that? We've we've had somebody say, so what? What? What are your favorite news sources? Like, where do you go for news? And they're like, Ugh. I mean, they're, we're hiring them to be a news person. Yeah, and they're like, not into the news really. And in my head, I'm thinking, what are you? Mm. What are you doing here? Not the answer to to bring at that point. Me, I, I wouldn't stop talking. Oh, my word. So many news sources. Holy I God. even, I think, a one said, said, I have so many, I can't even begin to tell no, you, you And all. yours were alphabetized, they and were. you started. American Journal. <laughs> you just started. The Atlantic. That was, was great. You just kept going. Yeah. All the way to Z. Yeah. 42 minutes. It's a long meeting. That's why you got the job. I just bored everyone to death? Well, yeah. Well, we thought, man, Terry... He could fill our day with stuff to do. <laughs> just keep talking. <laughs> it's so good. Did you hear this crazy story about uh, what's falling from the sky in Philadelphia? What? You won't believe this. you got to watch out. Look out for what's going on above you. No one pays attention to what's going on above them. A woman walking in, a, in Fairmont Park in Philadelphia last week was hit by a fish that fell from the sky. Lisa Lobry said she was walking on a path in the park on Labor Day. Fish head, fish head, roly poly fish head. She's walking and she heard a rustling in the trees above. Then something came crashing down, hit her in the head. I think it might have been head, face, neck, because I smelled so bad afterwards. I smelled disgusting, she said. 
As she regained her composure, a friend she was walking with found the culprit. It bounced off Annie. Annie sees me go down, turns around, looks and goes, oh my, it was a fish. Whoa. A fish, not just a fish head, not just a roly-poly fish head. A whole fish fell from the sky. <coughs> Keeps hitting her. Lobry suffered a small cut on her to her face and some swelling from the catfish, which was all uh, which was about a foot long. She admits to being a bit hysterical at first, but she now sees the humor in the bizarre story. As for where the fish came from, a few friends spotted a bird flying away right after the fish fell. That fish probably the, the bird couldn't handle the weight of the fish probably. So it wasn't like a like a shark nado or a catfish no. nado. It was more of a seagull nado. Okay. Well, well whatever bird would a seagull, carry, like yeah. a, a like a probably a a hawk or something. Yeah, something with talons. I mean, a seagull would have a hard time with the webbed feet trying to. But no, nah, seagulls can work. If seagull can work a the uh, dump, the city dump. Yeah. And you know, pick a safe. I've seen a seagull picking a safe before. <laughs> They're listening. Yeah. You gotta watch out for that catfish yeah. flying from the sky. Always look up, folks. Always, always look up. Now uh, back to the tornado. Mm. What tornado warning? A wedding goes on in downtown Grand Rapids, Michigan. Despite the tornado sirens sirens echoing in the downtown area, buildings surrounding Fountain Street Church shortly after 2 p.m. on Saturday, August 20th, Brandon Warder decided that he and Brianne Proctor had waited long enough for their wedding. They were going to go ahead, even with the sirens going off. They were still going to get married. And briefly, um, after briefly conferring with their wedding planner at the front of the sanctuary, Brandon made his decision. Uh, She said, we need everybody to go into the basement right now. Uh, It said Brandon, who was standing with his groomsmen at the front of the church as they awaited the bridal procession. Bree is ready, and we're all here. Let's go through with this, he decided. Let's make it happen. I figured if we were going to get hit, maybe it was meant to be. But by the way, if you're going to get hit by a tornado, you may as well be married. So we have audio from the actual scene of the wedding. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony... If any person can show just cause why they may not be joined together, let them speak now or forever hold their peace. It's a twister! It's a twister! Marriage is the union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind. It is intended for their mutual joy and for the help and comfort. If you don't mind, I'm... I'm going to give you the express version of this ceremony. Brandon and Rianne, do you take each other to be your lovely wedding spouse? I do. I couldn't quite hear you, but I'll take that as a yes. You may now kiss the bride. Wow. That's beautiful. <laughs> I love weddings. Nothing, I, I get so emotional when I, when I hear weddings. And <sighs> That was beautiful. A lot of wildlife. Cows and chickens, and there's a goat, I think. <laughs> wow. Man. But you start mixing in the cars, you got dangerous. That was good video. Hmm. It's the sad thing with the radio video that we're doing, um, you can't see the video part. Because you'd see, I saw a lady on a bike with a dog in her front basket. 
Really? Yeah. Then it turned into a broom. Did you see that? Yeah. I didn't know if it was a broom or what that was. Yeah. And then monkeys, flying monkeys. Guys Mm. rowing a boat. Oh, do you remember that? Yeah. Good wedding. Anyway, they made it. And uh, now they're going to go to the Carolinas and honeymoon where there were also hurricane warnings. So Great. Let's just say their marriage is probably not going to make it. Not to be rude, but either are they. I don't want to be a negative naysayer. Anyway, great stuff. Uh, we will take a break and get ready, folks. What are the questions you should be asking if you want to make sure you're hiring the right person? How should you go about the hiring process? If you're a leader, if you're a manager in an organization, if you're looking to hire your first nanny, this might be the person you want to listen to. Dr. Anna Hartley will be joining us next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, our interviews, the really the best method of picking who is most qualified for the job. For most of us, the prospect of a, you know, a job interview can be intimidating and even a bit overwhelming. What if our resume doesn't reflect experience or what if our personality simply doesn't click with the person who's interviewing us? In order to nail a job, you must nail an interview, and Dr. Anna Hartley, an expert on personality, judgment, and measurement, joins us this morning to share a little bit about her experiences with interviewing uh, for a job and what happened when she found that she had the wrong personality for the job. Thanks uh, for being with us today. Dr. Anna Hartley, thanks. Thank you so much. Good to have you here. And uh, and talking about this, talk about your uh, the, the way you came to discuss this topic of the wrong personality. It was actually in a job interview, wasn't it? So I had a job interview for a certain position at a company. I can't say what company, but um, yeah, they, they uh, gave me a structured personality interview where they asked me questions about my personality. Wow. Just one by one, they just started... But you're a personality expert. I mean, your expertise is in studying personality and, I guess, social social psychology. Yes. Yeah, I literally wrote my dissertation on personality assessment, so it's kind of an <laughs> interesting experience. How wild. Personality screening. <laughs> and, and so you, you've just gone to some uh, job interview, which even how you describe how they, they kind of got you to get to the interview – it wasn't a real personal experience anyway. No, yeah, I got I got kind of an automated email that said, call this toll-free number to set up your interview. So wow. that, as you can see, it was off to a great start right there. <laughs> I really felt warm. It felt warm and welcoming. And then they sat down with you and started uh, going through a personality kind of interview. Talk about how that works. What is What is that? I mean, I've heard of behavioral interviewing, but what is personality interviewing like? structured interview, which meant that the interviewer had to ask specific questions, and I could only answer in certain ways. So I could only answer yes or no or um, of a certain option, um, as she indicated. So, for example, she said, are you a responsible person? And I would either be able to answer yes or no, but I couldn't answer anything in between. Wow. And what is the goal here? I guess this is to actually see if you have the right personality that they need for this job. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've thought a lot about it. I think it's partly that, and I think it's partly to see how you do in these kind of intense, structured interview formats where you kind of have to – it's almost a forced choice format where you have to choose between two options, which aren't great. So, for example, one of the things that asked me was, are you the most responsible person you know? Um, and I couldn't – you know, I had to answer um, uh, yes or no. And that can, you know, that's like kind of a murky question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what if you don't know anybody? <laughs> then I guess you are by default. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> that's an easy one. And I guess, are they sitting there on their laptop uh, then typing in each answer? It, it was a phone interview, so I assume so. I mean, I heard her typing in the background, so yeah, I think so. How interesting. And I guess at the end of this, um, what happened? I guess you were you were advised that you had the wrong personality for the job? <laughs> well, she asked me a serious, she asked me a whole series of questions, which were all kind of increasingly frustrating as it went on. Like, are you perfect? And then um, she told me at the end, of the end of the interview that they would get back to me in three to five business days, which in and of itself is kind of hilarious. Just three to five business days. <laughs> um, and then I got an email, just an automated email saying that um, I wasn't a good fit for the job, uh, that I did not pass their personality screening. But you were more than qualified, more than able, educated enough. You had the skills, the tools to do the job. You just were rejected by personality. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And uh, that was the funny thing. They actually never asked me about my qualifications for the job. Oh, they didn't? But they apparently knew of you because they basically headhunted you. Um. Well, they had my resume, yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. Now, so um, is this, do you do you know, is this a fairly normal practice now in interviewing? <clears throat> um, I've never had a personality interview quite like that. Um, I think all of these interviews get at your personality in various ways. I mean, I've definitely taken personality questionnaires for interviews before, um, just on the computer or on paper. But I think the other, you know, the other really popular way you mentioned before is behavioral interviewing, yeah. which... I mean, that's asking about your personality in specific contexts as revealed through your behavior. And I think that might be a better way of getting at one's personality in that, a less obvious way. Yeah, that's one where they'll say, give me an example of where you had to go against what your boss was saying or something. Absolutely. And then, then they, yeah. they want to see how you behave and uh, how you explain your behavior. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, one of the themes of my research and some of the research coming out of personality is that it's much better revealed um, by what you do in specific situations rather than just asking something about somebody <laughs> about their personality traits. Yeah. Well, it's almost like they're, they're and it's a little, I don't know, it, um, it's almost like deceptive in a way. It's, it's like putting you on a lie detector <laughs> instead of just, <laughs> instead of just letting you express and if if they're forcing you into these yes or no kind of questions it seems like it would be better to to let people just talk and their personality would come out their behavior would come out it just seems like it's a better device to understand someone yeah yeah i agree i mean or just let them watch the bachelor and then just watch how they react <laughs> you know what i mean that would work too that sounds like a good personality. <laughs> Talk about um, personality just in your in the job. I mean, it's a funny thing because we we tend to not know. We hire these people, they come in, and then the next thing we know, they drive us crazy. 
<laughs> and personality is a hard thing really to to peg, isn't it? And we we might get skills, we get the resume, but it's the personality that might be the hardest thing to work with. Absolutely, yeah. And I think looking at people's behavior and context, you learn so much about them. Like, you know, what does somebody do in the most difficult social situations? What do they do in the most benign, friendly social situations? And that's, I think, when personality is best revealed. That's why, I mean, I think it makes sense that these companies are shifting towards behavioral interviewing so they can really get a read on that. Yeah. Is it, let me ask you this, can you train personality or is it, is it the, is it what we're born with? Um, I think we are, I mean, part of personality is certainly genetic, you know, in terms of our temperament, but, um, but no, I mean, like personality changes over time and they used to think that personality was set like plaster. That's what everybody said, set like plaster um, after age 30. But now we're finding that personality changes throughout your lifespan, and it changes in response to situations and the situations you encounter. I mean, like the situations you're going to encounter are going to change as well. So I think you can certainly change your personality, especially if you can identify how you're behaving in the most problematic situations. Yeah. And is it uh, – yeah, because you, you could start to see if if you're not getting the results you need – you probably ought to reevaluate what your your personality. You probably ought to evaluate reevaluate you and what's going on. How do you keep getting fired? What is it about your personality that might impact it? Can can people assess their own personality, or do they need you know others to help them do that? I think yeah. I mean, I think you need help from something. You know, whether it's an assessment or somebody else kind of giving you a little bit of advice. Yeah, what do you say, you know, maybe if you're getting fired from every job, it's like, you know, maybe that's the time to go to a friend or a coworker who you trust and say, what do you think this is about? You know, do you think there's something I could be doing better? Yeah, it's um, it's such a it's such a crazy science. And I look at businesses and I sit there and I think they're doing a personality assessment. Probably some com- some company has come from the outside, pitched them on the idea that this is brilliant. We will get in and assess each of your jobs, each of your, you know, different uh, workplaces and figure out the ideal personality type. But it, it seems like that's just a myth. There, is there an ideal personality type for a job or is there just one that's more – I mean, you could be an introvert and love cells. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, mean, so, I think – Go ahead. Yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, I think that – I don't know if there's a personality type, but I think certainly qualities for certain jobs are great to have. You know, I think like flexibility, for example, is something that is probably valued in many jobs. But I don't know if there's a personality type because, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, sometimes introverts excel. You know, like I know introverts who are journalists. Yeah. And they love that. Um, So it really just I think it just depends on who you are and how flexible you're willing to be and if you can gain those specific qualities that are good for the job. Right. And in the end, um, I mean, I guess we we had a guest on yesterday that was just talking about the fact that uh, even in social or in uh, psychology and a lot of the research we're doing, we know it's always kind of been the nature-nurture argument. 
and because nurture was our, our nature was always harder historically to figure out genetics and mm. and DNA and everything that was more difficult than just figuring out some of the influences dad or mom may have directly we tend to overlook genetics but uh humans are complex and we're even more complex than our personality like you were saying my personality may be affected by the fact that you know someone in my family near and dear to me is dying mm. and that may adjust mm-hmm. me for a year Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Our personalities change. And, you know, I think that in terms of, yeah, I mean, in terms of um, environment versus genetics, I mean, like, as, you know, more of a psychologist and less, you know, on the um, biological side of things, I just focus on what I can measure. And we can we can measure things in people's environments and how they react to them. Right. Is what what should we be doing as as you've kind of learned going through this type of interview process. Are there things that we could do to better prepare for this this type of interview um, or any interview in order to kind of be more relaxed, be more who we are, and maybe somehow convey that? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the hard thing to do is actually just to not be nervous. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I think like the more and more you do these things, you just realize that I mean, these things are really low stakes because you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you can do a fantastic job and feel like you really knocked it out of the park and then you don't get called back. It's just it's so out of your control that I think the best thing to do is just to relax, to answer honestly. You know, with that with that very strange interview that I had, I just I just tried to answer honestly because, you know, when that when they asked me if I was the best. I said, no, because I'm not the best. I mean, I yeah. don't really know what that question means. But I think to say anything else is doing a disservice to yourself um, just because you don't want to get a job that's not a good fit for you and that you got um, dishonestly. Um, so I think, yeah, my best advice for that is just realize that it's really low stakes and it's out of your control and just try to be relaxed in yourself and and, you know, of course, you know, you want to do all the normal things like do your research on the company beforehand so you yeah. can get a sense. Yeah, I mean that's great advice. You don't you don't want to lie and then get the job and then be like, what the heck? These guys are strange. <laughs> it's totally true. Absolutely, Doctor yeah. Anna Hartley. We appreciate you and that great uh, great work. And the article is in Psychology Today. Wrong personality for the job. If you just go to psychologytoday.com dot com and um, look up Anna Hartley, great information for all of us. Stick. Uh, Stick to it. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Continue. What other things we should be doing and could be doing to, um, you know, make sure that we understand ourselves and are more self-aware of our own lives. You know, we're the only person we've got. So everything depends on our ability to understand ourselves. Stick with us. We'll come back, continue the discussion. Enjoying that burger, son? That's pretty good, I guess. Hey, how did you get into my house? The back door was open. Mmm, that's lean, finely textured beef you've got there. Also known by its adorable nickname, Pink Slime. It's the low-fat killer, I mean filler, that's used to beef up many processed beefs. How's it made? Good question, Billy. Jimmy... 
Connective tissue, trimmings, and scraps from industrial butcher plants are carefully mixed in a large steel reactor. Then, after a few unimportant and frankly boring steps, yummy and lean pink goo emerges. Ammonium hydroxide is then generously injected into the mass of quote-unquote meat, effectively sterilizing against microbes such as E. coli and salmonella. You don't want E. coli, do you? Do you? Uh, of course not. Well, now that you know what LFTB is, you'll want to buy our delicious products. Casicarne, a subsidiary of Cone Ammonium Hydroxide Associates, is making their delicious meats available to the general public. Having a barbecue? Throw on some mouth-watering beaker bobs and frankenfurters. Going on a picnic with the family? Don't forget to pack some scrumptious balabnia sandwiches. Running late for work? Don't worry. Just pop a breakfast pink pocket into the toaster. It's ready in seconds. And be sure to try our other products, which are quickly becoming bestsellers, like flask jerky, slab-a-lab, and for a taste of grandma's home cooking, phlegm meatloaf. Hello, police. There's a strange man in my kitchen. Whoops, gotta go. Cassie Carne. We chemically treat our meats because we care. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, so it's one thing to interview and and get the job and make sure we're asking the right questions. Another thing we have to do, you know, some have to actually enter a pageant to get the job. So we wanted to take on the idea of do we still need these these pageants like the Miss American Miss America pageant or Miss USA pageant? They. Some wonder, you know, is it sexist? Is it just is it just a way to take advantage of women? Joining us today is one who has been on the show forever. You know her as Caitlin Thomas. She was Miss Lehigh here in the state of Utah. And uh, but you could have if you had won the Miss Utah title, you would have been in Miss America. True. I would have. But we sent our Miss Utah was Lauren Wilson. Yes. And here's the question. Yes. Do we need pageants anymore? They're run by Donald Trump, some of them. Well, not anymore. That was Miss USA, and he actually sold that, so he doesn't own it anymore. And then the the poor woman from, from Miss World... Miss Universe? Yeah. Steve Harvey incident? Steve Harvey incident. We've had some that pretty was... negative PR on these pageants, it... so I'm here to advocate okay. for it do we, do we need Do we need pageants? Yes. Why? I'm tell us tell why. why. Well... One thing, this is what's really cool. So last Sunday was also was the Miss America 2017 yeah. pageant, but it was also, you know, we celebrated the anniversary of September 11th. 9-11. So, um, which was no coincidence, actually. So 15 years ago, after September 11th, all TV broadcasts were shut down, right, except for the news. Right. They just played the same thing over and over. But remember, and for days and days, it's all we saw. They shut down all TV shows, all rom-coms, all that stuff. But at the same time, 51 women from across the United States were gathered together getting ready to compete. Huh. Because it happened. I did not know that. So they go – actually, they spend two weeks in – now it's Atlantic City. They meet and they spend a week doing promotional stuff and then they spend a week doing preliminary competitions and then the final night of competition. So they were already there. 
And they didn't know if they were going to air the pageant or not. They didn't know what they were going to do. But they decided that they were still going to air the Miss America pageant that year. And it was actually the first public broadcast to go on TV after September 11th. Really? To try and, you know. Unify, bring unify, back bring the some hope, spirit. Happiness, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it's, it, it's, there's a lot more to it than you think there is. So, so they, it's, it's supposed to be giving back to the country, to communities. But, but some are saying, well, then why do you need to be in an evening gown? And why, why are you still wearing a, a swimsuit? Yeah. And, you know, is it just because and why if it's so great, why aren't men doing it? Well, that's what's cool about it is Miss America is the nation's leading advocate for women's education and the largest provider of scholarship assistance to young women in the United States, awarding millions of dollars annually in cash awards and in-kind tuition waivers. You have you have yourself received, because you won a, in a town here in Utah, Miss mm-hmm. Lehigh, you received a scholarship. You went to school yeah, because I'm actually, of the program. So I'm on my final – so I'm graduating in April. You are? I am. I'm so excited. I, knew, I mean, I know it was close. I know we were trying to, we were going to see if you were going to graduate. I Matt's didn't know. Matt's trying to kick me out. It came through. Did it come through? It okay, came so through. it came through. And uh, because of the Miss America program, I was able to get for my last year about $6,000 in scholarship money to help me finish my last year. And I will graduate this year and then at, two years ago. Anyway, I've been involved in the pageant organization for a while. So I will be graduating debt free. Thank huge. you to the Miss America organization. Also, it's huge on service. Miss America contestants contribute tens of thousands of community service hours annually and have raised over $13 million for Children's Miracle Network Hospitals and Miss America scholarships since 2007. Really? Yeah. So it's, it's I mean... It's good. The, the evening gowns and the, and the swimwear and those things, they have a purpose. Yeah. But the bread and the butter of this organization is the scholarship money and the service hours. Well, and, and I like it. It's kind of like it's a finishing. My sister had to go to because my grandma made her had to go to a finishing school where they taught her manners, they taught her how to speak, <laughs> they taught her proper etiquette, they taught her all these great things. Um and I see it as cuz you're a you've got a ton of skills from this. I You were your yeah. competition was dance, right? You did a dance yes. number. What and was jazz? What was it? It was a character jazz piece. Yeah. So and, I mean, it's and tell everybody how I helped you. Matt taught me how to do the splits, and I taught you jazz hands. Jazz hands. He's really good at jazz hands. Your your hand. Your when you do jazz hands, they were a little stiff, and I like to bring. Yeah, you help me loosen up. Yeah, loosen up the jazz hands. <laughs> so, but I, you, you, it made you, I think, a great speaker, and it made you, I think, even more talented, more able to. Yeah. So I, I, I do see how it helped you, except we have to play. We have to play a clip. Oh no! That um, that this is kind of what some people, when they think of beauty pageants, they think of answers like this. Do you want the question in it too? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's have the question if we can. So, because they always ask, they bring them up, and then you have to show that you know what's going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. And th- this is just this is this is what a lot of people think of. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps. And uh, I believe that our ed- education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and 
I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries. So we will be able to build up our future. For our- Nailed it. Okay. Okay. First of all, I'm two things. So are they using, are That's they? That's from the Miss USA, which is actually separate from the Miss America. Okay. So you're, you're teen USA. You're the trying to distinguish. USA. Yeah. So she's a teenager. She may not know the, the Iraq. Is, I would just like to point out that, have you ever listened to a football player interview? Oh, yeah. Some are really good. No, totally. No. Some are really bad. Right. No, they're all bad. <laughs> Let's just say it. So, I mean, yeah, you get those. And right. But can you imagine? Okay. So you're standing up there. You've just competed. In a physical fitness, so everyone in the world watching the broadcast uh, has seen you in a bathing suit. Uh, and, and and the point of it is to show that you're confident. They've seen you in an evening gown to show that you're graceful and poised and right. feminine and all these different things. And then you have to stand up on a stage and prove that you're also well-spoken and intelligent. Because as Miss America, you that's be your job. Right. You're representing America. You need to know what's going on. It's harder than it looks. Well, apparently it's not working in some places. Well, how about you try it? Well, no, but I guess that's the point is why right. wouldn't we just instead of the evening gown and the workout competition and the talent, why don't we just do the talking? Well, because they want they do want to show that women are well-rounded in a lot of areas. Yeah, I actually see a lot of benefits to the physical fitness, the evening gown. I like talent. I like that, too. I mean, I think that's great. Um, but then it's it's one thing to wear just your yoga gear. Totally. And go do your yoga. It's, 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 then you got to get in a swimsuit. That right there just confident. seems like it's not even about – it's well, about how you look. It's not about how you just – Not necessarily. The girl that just won Savvy Shields, I mean she's she's tiny. She's short. When I say tiny, I mean short. Yeah. She's not your typical you know, long-legged, skinny kind of yeah. Hollywood America type of girl. She she looked awesome, but it was, it was the confidence that she aired when she That's was on it. stage is what won it for her. Um, and for me, I mean, I'm really short as well, and I've been able to win physical fitness awards. And I think it's more about standing up and saying that women can be beautiful in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but women can also be confident and okay with what they look like and right. feel good in a swimming suit. Yeah. It's good. I mean, I think that's a positive Is, message. Do you sense in the future going forward that they're going to diminish the role of the swimsuit part of it and magnify the role of the other talents? Or do you think it's always going to hold its part? I think it'll always hold its part. I mean, it's probably it's the smallest percentage of points within the yeah. whole thing. So and I think it's already it's more weighed of, that way. We're trying to show. I mean, if you listen to the intros, we're trying to show that they have a physical, you know, mental, emotional well-being. Yeah. And you see a lot of that when they're standing on a stage. And I think it's actually, I mean, a pos- It can be a very positive example if people understand what it's for and what it's doing. Well, and I love that it's teaching all of the other skills. You know, interviewing some mm-hmm. still struggle, but yeah. interviewing if other that sixty three million views, sixty five million. See, views. and and it's hard though. You stand up there and you practice. Oh no doubt. Because you have a private interview as well, and and you don't know what anyone's going to say. You just have to yeah. prepare for the worst. Like I have a couple of questions I want to ask you. Yeah, just to give so, you an example okay. of what it feels like yeah. to be on the spot. Um, here's my here's such a fun as one. such as. Um, Last year, CEOs in the U.S. made around 300 times the average worker's salaries. Should the government impose boundaries on salaries for executives? 20 seconds, go. No, they shouldn't. It's a free market economy. If they make $3 billion for a company and the board deems that the, the CEO is a major part of that, then the board could pay the CEO $30 million. It's driven by capital market 
effects. Dang, that was good. But see, ding, the difference ding, is, ding, see, ding, here's ding. the difference. See, I can say that because that's just my opinion, but she has to say it so it's still mainstream popular. It has to be – well, she, you have to have an opinion, but it has to be a well-informed, but yeah. also a – you don't want to come across as offensive. You have exactly. to learn how to be well See, that's the dilemma that they face because – oh, my heavens, time is flying. They have to – if they don't hurry and they don't get it out, it's only 20 seconds. Yeah. And they're saying it to judges that might have an opinion. Right. That's different from uh-huh. their own. So, so okay, we'll do about, one more really fast. Uh, ooh. Okay. Probably all the time people ask you, so pretending you're a woman, what men can learn from women. But I would like to ask you today, Matt, what can women learn from men? Very, very little, quite honestly. Um, <laughs> you know what they could learn? They could maybe learn uh, don't worry about as many things as you might worry about. That's true. Wing it. Sometimes it is more fun to just sit back and let the house get messy because a lot of people are really worried about that. Um, They could learn how to not have as good of hygiene. Gross. Stuff like that. (gasps) Such as that. That was pretty good. I'm impressed. I I do like, like anything. I think you deserve the crown. You changed the entire thing for me. Because you took advantage of your scholarships, and it turned you into an incredible woman. Oh, thank you, Matt. So I'm proud of you. If 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 everyone are doing what you're doing, then I like the pageants. It's great. I'm get your daughters involved if they want to. If they're become an adult and they want to do it, support them. It really is a good thing. And don't be a pageant mom. No. Okay, Matt. Now we just need to see you in a bathing suit. Give Let's me five minutes. Wave. We'll it's take a break. America. I'll be back in my bathing suit. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Vote for Summer. Yeah, right. I'm not voting for her. Then who are you going to vote for? I'm voting for Pedro Sanchez. Who do you think? I remember the first time I voted, I was determined to fulfill my civic duty and help pave the future of America. But I also remember only really recognizing one name on the ballot, because that's the name I'd heard my parents talking about. Did I really have a clue what I was doing? Honestly, no. The next election is in less than two months. Is America prepared for this? Yep. The Pew Research Center estimates that 69.2 million millennials are of voting age. That's nearly equal to the number of baby boomers who can vote. Yep. Some say that the story of this election depends on the voter turnout among millennials and that a lot of the power and influence in the world after the election rests on their shoulders. Yep. But the question on everyone's minds is, will the millennials show up to the polls? No. Nope. And if they do, do they even know what they're doing? No. Nope. You gotta fight for your right to vote. So I brought in fresh bait. Two recently turned 18-year-olds who will have their first opportunity to vote in a couple of months and decided to see how well they know the 2016 election. I've narrowed your choices down to five unthinkable options. Each will cause untold misery. I pick number three. You don't even want to read them first. I'm Ellie McGregor. My name is Maddie Wood. Are you guys planning on voting? 
I do. I, I mean, I want this. to vote because it's my first time, but I just don't know who to vote for. This is Hillary Clinton. I'm just chilling in Cedar Rapids. The U.S. has become a dump. Well, I actually found this quiz on Ooh. CBS News, and it's going to test you on how well you've been following this election. No! Oh. We had us. And you're just rep- representing all American oh millennials God, right now. America. All of the millennials. I'm sorry, millennials. <laughs> all right. So let's see how all the 18-year-olds do. Okay. Number one. This candidate literally took a chainsaw to the U.S. tax code in an online video to draw attention to his tax reform proposals. The Zodiac Killer. (laughs) It just would make sense if he brought a chainsaw. Okay. Ted Cruz? Sure. Yeah. Should we go for it? Yeah. Ron. No! (laughs) It was Rand Paul. (laughs) Do you know who that is? Yeah, he has a really skinny face. Hey, I'm Rand Paul, and I'm trying to kill the tax code. Okay, number two. Two! This candidate kicked off his 2016 campaign with a speech at Liberty University, an evangelical Christian college in Virginia, signaling that he would court the religious right as a pillar of his primary strategy. Marco Rubio. Oh, I feel like Trump did that, but I feel like that was later. I don't think that was like at the beginning. Oh, did he really? Out. Yeah, because that's what he messed up. He said two Corinthians instead of second Corinthians. Oh. Do Ted I, Cruz because I, I was wrong. Do Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz? You're right! Where to go? <laughs> Why'd you choose Ted Cruz? Because I remember he was very, like, like wanted to be closely tied with religious people, and he was always going to churches and stuff like that. Imagine instead millions of people of faith all across America coming out to the polls and voting our values. Good job, Kate. Number Good three. Job. This candidate pulled the plug on a campaign speech after his event was disrupted by activists with Black Lives Matter. Oh, definitely Trump. Like Trump. Yes. Yeah, let's Trump. Wrong. No! What? what the heck? Why did you think Trump? Because, because he's the whole right where there's like... He kicked a baby out. Actually, I was only kidding. You can get the baby out of here. Really? That's a BuzzFeed probably. <laughs> it was Bernie Sanders. What? Uh, Thank you, Seattle, for being one of the most progressive cities in the United States of America. We, we want an opportunity to address. We want an opportunity okay. to address. Okay. If you do not listen to her, no, no, your no. event will be shut down. Okay, number four. (laughs) This candidate has called for a no-fly zone in Syria as part of a strategy to combat the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. Oh, I feel like it's Ted Cruz, but we already did that one. Hillary Clinton. Final answer? Yeah. You're right! Why did you think Hillary? Because I know that Democrats want to take people out of Syria and Iraq. I have proposed a no-fly zone to have conversations with the Russians at the table. Okay, and last question. A health report signed by this candidate's doctor proclaimed that should he win, he will be the healthiest individual ever elected to the presidency. Unfortunately... It's Donald Trump. <laughs> so how did you know that that last one was Donald Trump with that before I even finished the question? I've seen he it on the news. He just said that. Like, he's used that. I've watched Stephen Colbert. He looks like a guy who could not only write you a prescription for drugs, but tell you what they taste like first. So have you guys been following the, the election? I was following it at first, but then it honestly made me nauseous every time I would read along with it. But I like to like ha- make sure I'm informed to make yeah. good decisions. Like I've we don't realize how much power we have in this. We think that we're just one person to vote, but I mean, so many people are that. saying that they don't matter in it, then no one's going to vote. But I'm going to vote. Gonna yeah, vote. I want to get that vote. sticker. <laughs> just do it for the sticker. Just do it for the sticker, at least. Now, this may have confirmed your fears of the Earth bursting into flames after this election. Welcome to the end of the world. But if you look on the bright side, they only missed two. You failed, Your Highness. 
So yes, millennials might get most of their political information off BuzzFeed or Stephen Colbert. But don't worry, as long as they still give out stickers, at least we'll be at the polls. God bless America. I'm Leanna Tan, and that's my little tangent. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side. This is the program where we give you the information, the tools you need to make it through this thing we call life. And uh, we got a wonderful show for you. We will be getting into the topic of those people. Some people offend you. You go to a party and they've offended you. They seem not to care what you're saying. Maybe they don't give you eye contact. Well, before you judge them as somebody that is just rude, maybe figure out if they have social anxiety. Perhaps they're not as rude as you think. It's just they're nervous. They don't know how to do this social thing very well. And we will be speaking with a professor about uh, how to how to evaluate this so that you don't become offended. And then all of a sudden, that guy's such a jerk. And then that might change how you treat them. And off we go in the crazy spiral of life. Social anxiety, it's impacting a lot of people today. We will uh, be talking about that. Plus, our, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation will be joining us later in the show to talk about their program, what they will be talking about at the top of the hour. We've got questions for them about the BYU game. <laughs> BYU-UCLA. Oh, I thought I thought it could have I thought they could have won that. They could get an offense just churning. Have you noticed that all three of their games have been the difference between three points? They've either won or lost by a few points. What is the deal? And they can't can't seem to get more than two touchdowns either. There's something about too when you run the two minute offense, they do really well. They just need to run the two minute offense permanently. We're gonna ask about that. I mean I'm not a football coach, but I did watch the game, and I felt superior because I've played football before. So I'm going to give my one cent worth. Hmm. Plus, we've got crazy stories, people jumping off trains, people falling into rivers, and then ending up in Canada. You won't believe what's going on. And, of course, the headlines. But before we start any of this... To Sadie Nielsen with the headline. Sadie, what's up? New York police put out a photo of a man sought in connection to the explosion in Chelsea this morning, hours after a device in New Jersey exploded while it was being disarmed by a bomb bomb robot. The man is being sought in connection to the Manhattan bombing, which injured 29 people on Saturday night. Police questioned five people early Monday. Uh, following a car stop in New York as they investigated whether there was a connection between the explosion in Chelsea and several explosive devices found in both New York and New Jersey over the weekend. Donald Trump is planning to meet with Egyptian president on New- in New York City on Monday, a source familiar with Republican nominee's schedule tells Fox News. It's unclear where exactly the meeting will take place, but prior reports say the Egyptian president is planning to meet with both Hillary Clinton and Trump on the sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly. 
Transparent creator Jill Soloway speaking to reporters backstage compared Trump to Hitler saying he's the most dangerous monster to ever approach our lifetime. He's a complete dangerous monster. And at any moment, I have to call him out for being an inheritor of Hitler. I will. Soloway, who won an an Emmy for comedy directing, continued to blast the Republican nominee. He blames Muslims and Mexicans for our problems. He makes fun of disabled people, she she said passionately, and he needs to be called out. And finally, a golden toilet at a museum in New York was made available for public use on Friday. So you head over to New York, you can go ahead and use this toilet. Is it Trump's? Is it at Trump Towers? You know, you would think it would belong there with the Trump Tower being gold. Um, It's actually made out of 18 karat gold. Wow. By an, I don't think by I an could. Italian sculptor. Hmm. Yeah, I think it would psych me out. Um, <laughs> the artist also said uh, he wanted to make it available to the public as an extravagant luxury product, seemingly intended for the one percent. How nice! So kind of him. That is really nice. I mean, a lot of people that make gold encrusted toilets would never share them. Absolutely. Encrusted? Yeah. Hmm. When we plated gold, plated? Yeah, I didn't. I just. I don't know. I don't know if it was encrusted, if mm. it was plated. I didn't. I didn't. I don't know. Okay. I just know I don't want to. I like porcelain. You're a basic kind of guy. That's that's how it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. You weren't meant to have a gold, you know, plated Throne. toilet. Throne. Throne. Yeah. Thrones weren't meant to be gold. Porcelain. Mm. Like your teeth. Okay. <laughs> we'll let that go. Do you mean you in the collective sense or you, Terry? You, Terry. Or me. Yours are gold because you wear that grill. <laughs> that is the nicest grill. I, the whole, by the way, the whole grill thing, mm. I don't understand. I, n- how many kids did, never wanted to wear their retainer, but now they would want to wear a gold grill with diamonds encrusted? But if diamonds. they blinged up their retainer, they would wear, you know, they'd I, want I, to I wear it. I still wouldn't wear it. Why not? Because you talk like this. No, it'd be, it'd be, it's okay, though. It's yeah. a grill. You wouldn't call it a retainer. I think grills are gone. The day of the grill, gone. Certain groups, it's going strong. No is problem. it still going yeah. strong? What is up with that? Probably in your social circle. No. Yeah. In suburban America? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> not so big. Not so big in the grill area. Check this story out. Man jumps off the train near Toronto. Three people jump off to help him. What? I know. A man was taken to the hospital after he jumped off of a train that was moving Sunday night near Toronto. A feat accomplished by opening a door with an emergency switch mechanism. I regret nothing! And he just jumps off. Three others jumped off the train once it had stopped. In an apparent effort to help the man, we don't know uh, that the four people. We don't know the four people jumped off the train. That it appears the last three were helping. Four people were off the train. The last three, they believe, were helping. How are they going to help by jumping off the train? Aren't yeah. they all in the same situation at that point? Yeah, but it's one of those things where you feel like you got to do something. Maybe they didn't have their tickets with them. Oh. Yeah, and the ticket guy was coming down the line, and then the one just jumped right off. Well, police are investigating. It's never good to jump off a train. No, it needs to come to a complete and full stop. Right. It's like getting off an escalator. Have you ever had a problem on an escalator? No. Never? Not that I remember. Jeffrey? Maybe. 
No. I mean, I've always had that fear that maybe my toes or a piece of clothing will get snagged. Focus, focus. Yeah. I've had my I've had a button on my coat get stuck on about three steps away from the final departure area, the of the, the offloading area. So you had like an Indiana Jones moment I was, there. So my coat was stuck and I, yeah, I just kept – I had to keep walking backwards. Now those motorized sidewalks at the airport? Yeah. I've had problems great. with those at the end because you're, you're trying oh, to yeah. judge the yeah. non-moving floor with uh-huh. the moving floor and you – yeah. <laughs> Squeak. Yeah. 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 That's always embarrassing. You just – did you turf it? No, I didn't turf it, but you know, you get that awkward sort of stumble. <laughs> you you look around. <laughs> you look around like, no, I'm good. Did you look like Hillary Clinton getting in a van? No, no. Okay, not that bad. No weekend at Bernie's happening with me. Okay. Uh, crazy other story. Talk about, you know, Toronto, I guess, Canada. Uh, hundreds of Americans wash up illeg- illegally in Canada after a river party gone awry. About 1,500 Americans floating down a river that separates the United States from Canada had to be rescued from the water when the strong rains and winds sent them illegally into Canadian territory. Whoops. They invaded a country. The country's Coast Guard said on Monday the Americans were taking part in the annual Port Huron float down the Sunday, float down the St. Clair River. Just a fun little float. Just float. Until the winds blew the flotilla of inflatable rafts and inner tubes off course towards the Canadian shore. Some rafts deflated, spurring a rescue effort by the Canadian Coast Guard as well as the federal and provincial police. Most floaters had to be rescued from the water. Many were towed to shore, according to the Coast Guard. Some tried to swim back to the United States. Some realized what happened. We're like, oh, no, and they took off trying to swim back. But I think this was really a preemptive strike. You know, all the yeah. people that said they're going to go to Canada if Trump's That's elected. And so they, all... they just said, nope, not elected yet. you got to go back. Don't you so, wonder what Canadians think of Americans? When, yeah, you could 1,500 of them are, like, hitting the shores. Right. Well, yeah. And they're all floating in these tubes with, I'm, I'm assuming there's some... Beverages. Yeah, that's what I was trying to figure out. Yeah, there was probably. I'll bet you half the group didn't even know Liquid where they were landing. Yeah. They're like, what? Canada? Awesome. Canada, <laughs> yo. Yeah. Maybe they were, as Jeff was saying, they were they were testing an avenue of uh, exit from the country. This one obviously doesn't work. Right. They'll test the system a different way. It seems like obviously what we need is a wall on the northern border. If I were Canada, they Canada, seriously ought to evaluate having a wall. But Canada would need to build it, and obviously we would pay for it. We would pay for it, of course. Yeah. We need a northern wall. Apparently, there's a river, so you can just cross the river. Well, through a portion of it. Yeah. Other parts, you can just walk. Right. That's where you'd put the wall, but you'd need the wall through the water as well. Occasionally, there's a mountie that You don't want by. anyone swimming under? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> at least we know the Americans are still on it. Yay. I like how they did it on inner tubes. That's really the way to do it. It really is. Yeah. Just lazy, lazy river, just kind of floating down. But what about the guy that's like, I'm not going to Canada. (laughs) (laughs) He probably has a warrant for his arrest, jumps off, had to try to swim back. How fun. I think it's great. Any other news we need to worry about? Any other problems? In Philadelphia, there's a binary bandit. Pardon? A binary bandit. There is somebody running around the neighborhoods in Philadelphia stealing zeros <laughs> and ones from houses. 
Really? He just, yeah, just wants the binary code. The binary code. And a security camera caught one woman removing a zero from someone's home last Monday. Another person says their smart camera picked up a man who was removing a number from their building. And, uh, yeah, it's just sort of this weird situation. They don't know. The ongoing theory seems to be that for some sort of performance art, for some coming installation through probably either or other legal means acquiring numbers for a purpose of that nature. So there are Uh, a binary bandit. That's weird. Last week we had a story about a DeLorean in uh, Los Angeles that somebody had out at an event and it was uh, stolen. Guy was just driving around, really low speed. People are, you know, looking at, oh, it's a DeLorean from Back to the Future. And then somebody just walks up and steals the car. That was I'll last take week. That. Like, yeah. I'll just take that. And then the guy tried to race away, but found out that the car is only capable of 40 miles an hour or something. So they <laughs> caught him fairly easily. Um, this story in Essex, England, a 55-year-old man recently took his own DeLorean out for a spin. He wasn't particularly interested in traveling back in time, though. He was, however, clocked for speeding. 88 miles an hour. Wow. Which is, if you watch the movie, the exact speed you need <gasps> to go back in time. Do you think the cop was waiting for him to get up to 88? Like, I got to see where this is going. I would. I, if I was a police officer, I'd wait. Just and did story. anything happen uh, at 88? Yeah. So it's at the Just speed, the, 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 the space-time continuum you can break yeah, right. and, and enter and go through the wormhole. In Back to the Future, Doc Brown was able to travel back in time. This guy, of course, just went faster he was fined uh let's see so he paid twenty nine thousand dollars for the car it only takes a few he only takes that a few times a year and he takes it where people can watch him and stuff so he got a ticket he's just trying to you know put on a show but he went 88 just because opened it up he opened it up and the cop caught him so he got a speeding ticket but the story is he went 88 and did not so go back in time yeah, so that was just... Or maybe he went back in time to another time when he got a ticket. It could That's have. That's a great point. And maybe he isn't... How old was the gentleman? 55. Interesting. Because maybe he's really 90. You never know. With time and he travel, came back in time possible. and got a ticket when he was 55. It says when the man went to court to fight the ticket, his case was dismissed because the two police officers failed to show up. Great. Who so wasn't able to face his accuser? They dismissed the case. What? Is, come on! If you're going to pull somebody over and charge him with use of fl- the flux capacitor, yeah, show up. Maybe he was. Uh, maybe he got a ticket for having possession of uh, plutonium. Mm, that'll get you. But you get that from the Libyans. Yeah, I remember when you got a ticket for plutonium possession. That was a tough day. You were mad. Yeah. You were ticked. Okay. So there you go. Good stuff. I'll have more DeLorean news Crazy as news. it is becoming available. Okay. We are going to take a break. Be right back. We'll be speaking about social anxiety. It might be causing some of the awkward social moments that you have with other people. Maybe these people, it's not that they don't like you. They just, they're uncomfortable interacting. Stick with us. We'll be talking True Blue Uh, social anxiety issues and its impact on social interaction. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you lead healthier lives. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends. 
You know, have you ever been to a party and tried talking to somebody who just seemed like they couldn't make eye contact with you? Or they seemed to squirm in their seat when you approached them? Maybe you felt offended, like they had no interest in what you were saying, or often you leave these situations thinking, geez, I was trying to be nice to that guy, and they just walked away. But before you get offended, maybe consider that that person wasn't trying to send you uh, signals that they were disinterested. Maybe they were just a little anxious, a little socially uh, awkward. They didn't quite know how to handle the social situation. Joining us today is Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Pediatrics at the University of Vermont College of Medicine, David Ratu. He's here with us from Burlington, Vermont, to discuss how rudeness or disinterest could actually be just simple signs masking social anxiety. Dr. Ratu, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, Matt. It's great to be back on the show. You bet. Love having you and your great insight. When we when we talk about it, we're really quick to judge, it seems like, people. But if somebody is suffering with anxiety, there's nothing harder than, you know, a cocktail party. Absolutely. That can be one of the hardest situations, especially when you're there isn't a lot of structure to the situation. You're told to just kind of go out and mingle. <laughs> uh, and that can really be tough for people. And I think anybody who's ever been asked to do a math problem in front, you know, on the chalkboard in front of the whole class knows that your brain can go into a freeze, uh, even for things that you know pretty well. Totally. And is that that is so social anxiety would just be anxiety induced by social settings. Is that is that how you diag- or define that? Right. So social anxiety describes people who get particularly nervous and anxious when they're in pretty much all situ- social situations or if they're in one specific social situation. And probably the most famous specific situation is public speaking. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting, huh? Because um, it's uh, public speaking. I always thought of as you know, once you got the skills to do it, you, it, it's easy, and once you kind of build it up in your head. But if somebody is absolutely terrified of having to, you know, be there and do the I call it the dance and just sit there and make make chit chat, it's got to be hard. Is there? Do we sense that there's more? going on uh, with social anxiety today than before? Are we having more and more diagnoses of social anxiety? Well, you're right. There is this term. There's something called social anxiety disorder, uh, and it describes people who feel a lot of this to the point that it really causes impairment and holds them back in their lives. And it's common. Um, I think the estimates among adolescents, at least, I'm a child psychiatrist, so I think more about kids and adolescents, affects maybe about 11% of adolescent girls and about 9% of adolescent males. So it, it is very common. I'm not sure about the trends in the uh, over time, though. It's a is, great question. Is it? I, and I guess, like, I mean, I had a child that had social anxiety, and his manifested by him not wanting to go to school. He didn't want – he was the one that we fought with every time we took him to kindergarten. Right. Uh, this can uh, surface very, very young. Uh, there are some uh, famous psychologists who study kids as, as young as two and seem to be able to identify the early manifestations of this traits. And these kids are at higher risk for manifesting you know, full-blown social anxiety disorder in adolescents and adults. Although it's worth saying also that most kids who have this trait to start with don't go on to have this diagnosis. Do you? What do you do when when you see it? Because I guess a lot of times it is mistaken for rudeness 
or, you know, just antisocial behavior. Right, because if you think about it, here's a person who's at a party or something, they're feeling nervous, so it's hard to think about what to say. Mm -hmm. Um, People with social anxiety also tend to be very attuned or very perceptive of any possible negative evaluation of other people. So they're scanning the room, they're looking for signs that maybe they're not liked or not wanted. And the irony about this whole thing is that when you're thinking that, when you're not thinking or when you're worried about those kinds of things, it does actually affect your performance in Mm -hmm. social situations. And so there's this self-fulfilling prophecy that happens that if you are doing these things, then you're generally not as skilled in social situations. And and what's, I guess, ironic is they actually may be more skilled at picking up the data of social cues, but they just maybe overanalyze it. They over, they're overthinking it. Yeah, they're thinking about it too much, or they're or they're biased towards finding negative attributions out in the environment when maybe it's a more neutral signal. Interesting. Oh, it's got to be torture for those kids or those people. It's really tough, and that's why I thought it was a good question to bring up and talk about today because, uh, you know, it affects a lot of people, and I think being aware of this can help both the people who are anxious and the people who are not so anxious but trying to engage in a conversation with them. There's a reason they're not engaging normally with you in the social environment and don't just assume it's because they're rude. It might be they have other things going on. That's right. And, you know, we're in a society where we're often pretty quick to take offense. And um, we just have to be mindful that maybe there are other reasons. And for most of us, our thoughts dictate our behavior, although it can work in the other direction as well. But So if we think that somebody is blowing us off or not interested, you know, then we're going to react, you know, in a more hostile or less friendly way, too. And that's how these cycles get generated. And I guess and, and it becomes a deeper and deeper self-perpetuating cycle because the more they act socially awkward, the more negative feedback they get, which drives up their social anxieties, which drives up their awkward behavior. And and I guess, too, as a teacher as well, um, you got to just make sure you're not quickly judging them because that will determine how you teach them, how you handle them. That's right, and that's how these cycles develop. And if somebody has a really difficult experience in a social situation or at a party, you know, they may be much less likely to do that again. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's becoming more isolative, and then it's even more difficult to kind of pick up those social skills that we all need. Where does it come from? Is is this a chemical thing, David? Is this a is this a is this how we were raised? Is this what causes social anxiety? Well, like a lot of things when it comes to traits in the brain, it's fairly complex. There's good evidence from twin studies that a a good chunk of this uh, may be genetically related. And and like I said, people pick up these traits very, very early in life. But on top of that, there can be a lot of environmental things that can uh, either make this better or worse. So certainly if somebody has had a traumatic experience or a very embarrassing experience, that can have an effect. We can teach these things. There's some interesting studies that show that uh, parents who themselves might be anxious tend to sometimes communicate that the world is a more hostile and dangerous place. Hmm. So these messages are sometimes being communicated. So there's a lot of different things that can factor into this. And I guess you could, um, this is something you ought to be looking at with your own family. If you notice that you suffered from social anxiety, you might be looking for signs in your kids if they do as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons why I got interested in this topic is I think I have a measure of this myself. Mm. So it's always been on my radar screen. And then, uh, you know, one of my patients started bringing this up about uh, her best friend uh, thinking that uh, she didn't care about her at all because she was more hesitant when they first started talking. Hmm. And and yet here you are, David, on radio, but written books. You're a, a well-known doctor. You're changing lives, and so there is a sign of if you have a little social anxiety, you you can become pretty productive. Yes, absolutely. I mean, people who possess this trait, this is not destiny. This is not something that there's nothing to do about. Uh, but you have to get yourself out there. I mean, one of the one of the tricks about overcoming anxiety is that. To, to do it, you have to work in a different way. So in other words, you know, if your car breaks down, nobody's going to say, well, you need to drive up this hill in order to fix it. You know, you get the problem fixed and then you go out into the situation. Mm-hmm. But to treat anxiety, that's exactly what you have to do. You have to actually get people to risk being in a, in a slightly uncomfortable situation, even when things aren't totally fixed. And that's the way that somebody can gain mastery over this. And it's so counterintuitive, right? They, they want to hold back, but by holding back, you only make it harder next time. You keep sure, digging right. a deeper hole. Yes, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird mechanism, and you have to explain that to people because we're used to getting something fixed first uh-huh. and then going out into the situation. Yeah, and it's and I guess social anxiety is is it's one thing to have the feelings of anxiety, that anxiousness, the the heart rate that's you know rapid and and some of the other physiological effects. But social anxiety is also, I guess, what your brain is doing about how you contrive the social situation. That's right, and one of the things that people who tend to be more anxious are doing is, in addition to overly focusing maybe on cues in the environment. They're also very focused on their cues in their body. So they're noticing that their heart rate is going up, and they're saying, uh-oh, here comes my heart rate. It's going up. Oh, my palms are getting sweaty. I feel mm. the butterflies in my stomach, and all of that can then generate even more anxiety. But what, I guess but they're so self-attuned. That's a great thing because you could use that as a gift of reading. Maybe that's why you became a child psychiatrist is because you were so attuned. Yes, and anxiety, we, it often gets a very bad rap and can be maladaptive, but it's important to take a step back that anxiety enabled our species to survive. Right. You know, if, if, we, if all we could do when we saw a saber-toothed tiger was smile, <laughs> we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have lasted very long. Yeah, here, kitty, kitty. Right, you'd be dead. So you needed a little bit of fear to run. Yeah, we yeah. need to be able to mobilize ourselves when there's a perceived threat. It, it works against us, however, if, if that reaction happens when we're not in a dangerous situation. We're speaking with Dr. David Ratu. He's a child psychiatry professor of, uh, at pedia- of pediatrics at the University of Vermont College of Medicine and the director of Pediatric Psychiatry Clinic. We'll take a break, continue this discussion of social anxiety and how to, uh, how to help others that might be suffering from social anxiety in our social situations. Stick with us. We'll continue it right here after the break. Welcome back, friends. Why do you have to be so rude? Well, maybe they're not rude. Maybe they just a little anxious having a little uh, social anxiety moment. 
Joining us on the phone is Dr. David Ratu. He is the Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Pediatrics at the University of Vermont College of Medicine, also the author of the book Child Temperament, New Thinking About the Boundary Between Traits and Illness, also writes for Psychology Today and on theconversation.com. Wonderful resource. Dr. David Ratu, thank you again for being with us. It's my pleasure. This topic of social anxiety, it oh, it couldn't have played out more as I watched my child go to the prom this last week. My son, and um, holy cow, just the nerves that come out with all of these teenagers not wanting to make a mistake. We had to go over all the little rules of life. What about tipping? How do you slow dance? What do you say to somebody when you're slow dancing? And uh, nerves were going crazy. But it could be that some of our social interactions are caused by anxiety. When you when you work with the clients and the people and the patients you work with, Dr. Ritu, what what do you tell them about how to handle social anxiety? What advice do you give? Well, for for some of them, I advise them to do sort of what you did with with your child, so to prepare a little bit more. Hmm. Uh, some people are a great conversationalist, and they can just come up with topics, and all of a sudden, just engage anybody about anything. But for people with social anxiety, it may take a little extra work and preparation. So maybe you want to think about questions that you might want to ask people. It can be a little dry or it can feel a little rehearsed sometimes, but I think it's probably better than than an awkward silence sometimes. Because they'll bring up scenarios like, well, I mean, I, like, I don't know. I don't know when I meet the girl what I'm supposed to say. But you, you they, they're actually thinking ahead, you know, three days before the event. And so we could practice, well, here's 10 things we could say. Exactly. And that can, that can be helpful. Another thing that can be helpful, and this is a little counterintuitive, is give people who have social anxiety a role at, at these situations. Like we were saying in the very beginning, I think one of the, the most stressful situations is when there's no structure to hmm. it. And someone's supposed to just be around and mingling and going up to people. That can be really hard. But if a child or, you know, even an adult has something they're supposed to do, they're supposed to be passing around the food or, you know, what worked actually for me a little bit was to actually play in the band. Yeah. For me, it was easier to be in the band than it would, was to be in the audience. That's it. You, you need the script, right? And if yeah. I give you a role, then along with the role, there's kind of an inherent script. Exactly. And you can, and I guess, I make up a script, right? Like, it, like if it's a date or a dance, the script could just simply be, be the gentleman. You're there to serve the lady. You're there to make sure she's got her coat, make sure she's – I mean, I guess knowing the role to play helps. Sure. That can, help, uh, that can help quite a bit. I think another thing is people with social anxieties, they see the extroverted ones and they think, that, that, that's not me. That's, I'm not going to be able to get there. But the truth is – you don't really have to. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who are much more conversational and extroverted don't need much to get them going. So you just need to sort of start the conversation. And, and you may notice this on airplanes. I notice this, that it really sometimes just takes one hello or ask one question, and that person is off to the races. Mm-hmm. It's so true. So it, you, don't need to, yeah. you don't need to match them uh, with their gregariousness. You just have to, you just have to get things started. 
And can what can I do to help the person that um, is that I'm going that I'm talking to? If I sense they're a little socially anxious, I can help by just bring by letting you know using my skills to start the conversation and keep it going. Just don't be right. offended. Right, and I think just being aware if you're not getting that great feedback initially from somebody that maybe this is due to social anxiety is important. Now, if you hear "go away." <laughs> That's yeah. that's a different story. Leave me alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then they know, might have. I'm not going to say that there aren't rude people out right. there. Right. Uh, but to be aware that that's a possibility, maybe take the extra step, uh, and maybe if you're friends with somebody who is more socially anxious and you're introducing them, do a little bit more than just give them their name. That can sometimes help. So not just, you know, hi, you know, I want you to meet my friend David, but oh, he's also a big Red Sox fan. Hmm. You know, and and say something that can maybe jumpstart that conversation. I've, I've talked to a lot of my clients uh, that are couples about how their their spouse, their husband, let's say, really hates social situations. And so it probably is, it's not again that he's rude and he hates people. It's probably more of social anxiety. But now the guy's 55. Right. And, and that like people, that's the way they, they kind of want to be that way. There's not sometimes the motivation to change. And, and, and I guess you need to you need to work together on it. She might want to go do social things. He may really never want to, but we probably ought to find a way to help each other through it. Yeah, you have to sometimes find that that compromise. I, I guess um, what's a great sign from the whole thing, Doctor Ratu, is that I, you don't want to frame yourself as just a social misfit and broken simply because you have a little social anxiety. It's just it's just your burden today. Right. You bring up a really good point, and, and that is the power of labels. Uh, and, you know, remember there was that day where we used to talk about kids being bad, mm-hmm. and now everybody teaches you not to say that a child is bad, but they're acting badly. Right. And I think, ironically, we should think about some of these traits the same way. So if we say to a child, oh, you are shy, that can be internalized, and that can set them up for their narrative later in life. That becomes sort of their template. But if we frame it as, well, you're acting shy right now, in some ways we're giving permission, we're, hmm. we're conveying the understanding that this can change, and you know maybe this will not be the way it is for the rest of your life. So sometimes the words are important, especially when you talk over these things. Yeah, I totally agree. If you, uh, as we wrap it up, Dr. Ratu, what would you say is, is, I always like to know kind of the one thing, the one thing that that we all ought to do in our social social situations to to help everybody get through it. I would say one of my favorite sayings, and I don't know where this is where it comes from, but don't believe everything you think. <laughs> and uh, so, if you are all of a sudden perceiving something, it's worth a second guess and say, hmm, maybe this person really doesn't like me, but can I think of some other things that might challenge that assumption? And that may pave the way for a lot better uh, social interactions and maybe meeting some friends you wouldn't otherwise. I love it. No, I totally love it. Again, appreciate your great time with us, David. Uh, Dr. David Ratu is his name, author of the book Child Temperament, New Thinking About the Boundary Between Traits and Illness. Wonderful read there. Also, you can find more from him on Psychology Today and uh, on his Twitter feed, at PDPsych, P-E-D-I Psych. Great insight, folks. Don't always believe everything you think. Mm. More insights. We're going to come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation in just a minute. 
Are you a CEO, CFO, or other executive facing these or similar charges? Why should you go to jail for a crime someone else noticed? You don't need double talk. You need blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. No habla espanol. You'd hear yo ho ho Hey dude, hey it's a pirate's life. You know why? Because it's Pirates Day. Let's send it down to two pirates and uh, into their crazy little life. Let's go to the good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you for getting into character. That reminds me of a baseball highlight I once called for a local news station. How did it go? the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, really? It was for the Colorado Rockies, and his name was Ryan Spielborgs. And I said, Ryan Spielborgs goes, yard. (laughs) Yard. That's great. Hey, you know, it's Pirate Day. It's it's talk like a Pirate Day. But if you go in to um, the donut place, what's it called? Krispy Kreme. Okay. Then you and you and you either say a pirate phrase, or if you dress like a pirate, they're going to give you donuts. If you say just a pirate phrase, they'll give you a donut. If you dress like a pirate, you will get a dozen donuts. That's cool. So uh, I would like a dozen donuts. I think give you ought to. Dozen donuts. You ought to go down to sport or down to a Studio C's lockers, get some of their pirate gear, and then send one Again? of your. Yeah, send your send one of your peeps out to get donuts. Hello, puppet. <laughs> Excellent. So, guys, uh, I guess we got to talk about the game. Yeah, what happened? The, BYU played a game, and yep. oh, In women's soccer. Their defense. They did do that. Their defense did so. No, cut to the chase. Well, let's go. let's go. Well, okay. Here's the deal. Offense. What's happening? Enlighten us. Why can't we score more? Okay. It started let's, with a whisper. Let's give you the Reader's Digest version, okay? Okay. I know that... Is Reader's Digest still a thing? Anyways, it is, right? Anyways, yeah. Just is, in right? my bathroom. Still publishing? Yes. Right. It is easy to target quarterback play, right? Just say, oh, that's just, it's that's what it is. But there are so many moving parts on offense, including an offensive line that is now playing without three projected starters coming out of spring football. Okay. So the depth was really exposed on Saturday night. BYU couldn't establish a run against a very stout UCLA defensive front, and that forced BYU to become a bit one-dimensional in throwing the ball. And when you can stack eight in the the box and receivers aren't getting good separation, there aren't many people to throw it to. And... There were drop passes and errant throws, not to take anything away from Taysom Hill and the mistakes that he made, but it just was like this huge combination of issues that all became exposed on Saturday night. It's not one thing. There are four or five things happening that are not going well for BYU on offense. This has been exposed the first three games. Um, So now it's a thing, right? This isn't a singular issue. Yeah, now it's a problem. BYU's putting up 17 points a game, which is not enough. This place is historically known for its offense, and uh, it's been a struggle, and the defense has put BYU in position to win games. And it's tough because BYU hasn't put up 20 in a single game. And had they scored 21 in each game, they'd be 3-0, and oh, Holy which is cow. hard. 
Yeah. Hard to fathom, right? So there's some adjustments I need to make, uh, obviously, this week. Going to uh, D.C. to play West Virginia, a team that's known for uh, its offense. So this is, this is an important game for BYU coming up this week. Boy, stressful. Why am I stressed? Well, every great story has conflict, Matthew. Let's see. So we've already so we've laid the resolution the of said conflict. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Part of the story is in play now. This is what BYU needs to do. But there are also a lot of bad stories with unresolved conflict. Well, yeah, oh, so totally. What story will BYU write here? See, that's very poetic. The way we roll on uh, Pirate Day. You know what they need to do is play like the Rams did. You know, I'm a the Rams Seahawks fan, right? The oh, oh, sorry. See, see, the Rams the finally won the a game. Thing. Couldn't rush the ball. Right. Became one-dimensional. Right. Defense played great. Held the Rams to nine points. Come on. I mean, nine to three. Early. It's crazy. And boom, they lose. Twelve points last week from the uh, Seahawks. So, yeah. That's, that's got to bug you. It was a tough weekend, man. Both my teams lost. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. But the soccer. And it? Tottenham Hotspur. No, I'm just kidding. How much are you really affected by the Seahawks losing? I'll drink to that. <laughs> I'm glad the Rams won. <laughs> no, I just I'm trying to gauge Jerem's intensity with the Seahawks. He, does is he really a believer? I, well, he's a believer. He he roots for the Seahawks. I just I'm don't a Christian, know. If, I'm a believer. I don't know <laughs> if it ruins his weekend when the Seahawks lose. Yeah, my weekend's not ruined in by anything. Oh, Sports that's related. good. Like. Am I annoyed? Yeah, it's all good. Do you want to get even? Do you like? Do you do you hurt things? Do you hurt people? No. Okay. No. Do you do you take I your jersey sports. off? Yeah. Am I annoyed and like grumpy? Sure. Mm. Oh, mean, you are. Doesn't mean I'm. It doesn't mean I'm like <laughs> taking it out on my family or something. Good. I, I don't know what you're getting. At. Good. No, that's good. That's I, really good. <laughs> hey, um, you guys still doing your show thing? Of course we are. What? Uh, what? What's We're have a rating spike. You know what's funny? Yeah. What's Drama funny about these shows? good for us. Yes. Like it? Everybody good. wants in when there is drama. When the conflict is at its peak, people want to know <gasps> what's right. going on. That's right. They're hungry. And when things are straight up good. Yeah. Drama Drama's good for us. So, so what drama, how are you going to magnify the drama? I don't oh, know that we're going to magnify we don't need the drama to magnify because it. we don't need to. Plenty big. Yeah. The okay. fire is burning, man. Oh, this is exciting. Ryan started the fire. The fire is burning. The flames smell. are flaming. I smell it. I smell the flaming so flames. So, From the fire. I smell burnt flesh. Oh. So, what's on your show today? Trevor Maddich of ESPN, college yes. football insider, expert, and a national champion. The good thing about Trevor is he's very real to the situation. He will not shy away from what's on his mind and from a national perspective what he thinks BYU needs to do and should do and what has to happen moving forward. Trevor the Trigger. Yeah. Trigger Maddich. Yeah. So if you're looking for a, <laughs> hey, it's going to be okay, it's everyone. Neat. The defense is great, and that's a story. That's, no, no, no. The that's not is... happening today. BYU Good. offense has stunk, and we're going to break down why we why we think that's oh. happening and what we think could uh, change going forward. Okay, that said, cool. that said, Kalani Sitake said some things after the game on Saturday, and it did not. He did not shy away from the issue, so mm-hmm. I I respected that. So yeah. tune in tune in uh, to hear what Kalani Sitake said after the game. Yeah, in just six minutes, for heaven's sakes. Mm-hmm. 
You guys. Ja. Ja. So yeah, he's, Trevor. He's not making excuses. <laughs> Kalani update. Uh, yeah, he's not. He's shooting straight as well. Anything else on the show? Other than just a lot of good fun. Do we do we need anything more than that? De- no. Dennis Pitta had a fantastic game. We'll, we'll tell you uh, what kind of game he, he had is back yesterday for the Raiders. He is back and healthy. Back in black. And we got some new t-shirts available for BYU Sports Nation fans. We'll yeah, they're really? cool. We'll show you those. We'll profile those. Royal! You, you, know, you know that I'm one of your biggest fans. I do know that. You Matthew. are one of our and biggest fans. And I wear shirts. I, I also know that. <laughs> okay, just letting you know. <laughs> just trying to remind you. And what size of shirt do you wear, Matthew, Probably, if, let's say, we said, were to maybe give you one? I'd go large or extra okay. large, whichever. Okay. Yeah, all right. You know? Pick one. Let's go large. Okay. No, let's go extra large just to make sure I can wear it till I die. Okay. What if I told you that the large is, is just large? <laughs> then let's just go large. <laughs> that, that is a scientific fact. <laughs> large is large. Is it really large? Okay, this is good. And hypothetically, if I were to get it, I would need it earlier in the day. <laughs> okay. Just hypothetically. Anyway. Yeah, no, noted. No no big hurry. But All right. Happy Pirate Day, guys. Yar. Have a great show. Go in yard. We will do that. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a great show. You're not going to want to miss these guys. They're, it's going to be huge. <sighs> That's a big job because, honestly, people are frustrated. The offense, let's get it going. Is it Taysom Hill? Is it the line? Is it the receivers dropping the ball? How do you figure it all out? Well, just a quick review. Again, we wanted to um, just show you the power of tornadoes. And I wanted to just honor the story because, again, I'm a relationship coach. I'm a marriage coach. And there was a couple who a tornado hit um, in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Tornado sirens were blaring. And yet this couple still went through and, and went ahead with their wedding vows. Here's the audio from the whole Dearly thing. Dearly beloved... We are gathered here today to join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony. If any person can show just cause why they may not be joined together, let them speak now or forever hold their peace. It's a twister! It's a twister! Marriage is the union of husband and wife in heart, body, and mind. It is intended for their mutual joy and for the help and comfort. If you don't mind, I'm... I'm going to give you the express version of this ceremony. Brandon and Brienne, do you take each other to be your lovely wedding spouse? I do. I couldn't quite hear you, but I'll take that as a yes. You may now kiss the bride. Oh, I love weddings. That marriage is going to last. That, if that, that marriage has got some deep roots. That kept it from blowing away. The marriage was between Brandon Warner and Brianne Proctor. And it's a big deal. They had waited long enough for their wedding. And next thing you know, this storm comes through. And they just decided to go ahead with it. I think they went down in the basement of this church, the Fountain Street Church, while the tornado passed. And they, they sealed the deal. That is so cool. So, happy days to them. As you know, we like to celebrate the victories of life. We also like to celebrate celebrate hero, heroes. Today's hero, check this out. Benny is a mystery philanthropist 
He's hidden 100 bills in random grocery and household items on the shelves of local stores, in the food and craft booths at fairs, all around Salem, Oregon. His generosity has inspired others to pay it forward. Not only has he been performing acts of kindness over the past three years, he has been creating a special relationship in the community through his generosity and goodwill. In the meantime, let's update everyone on the benevolence of Benny. Here's the numbers. 91 people. 91 people have reported $100 bills that they have found since twenty um, since June 22nd. The sum, $51,500, the sum of all of Benny's bills that have been reported to me over the years. This guy has paid $51,000 of people's bills, like their, their food bill. He'll pay for their groceries when he's at the store. 26 stores have been hit by Benny and uh, has have taken care of people at those stores. 156 $100 bills were reportedly found at one Fred Meyer store. Think of that. It's 1500 bucks. Crazy. No, it's more than that. That's a lot. $150,000 in bills. Are you kidding me? Anyway, the numbers are crazy and staggering when you look at all the money this guy is spending to take care of people. One guy has some money, obviously, but more importantly, wants to change lives. So what do you have that you could use to change lives? Your talents, your gifts, just maybe fun, a good sense of humor. Maybe just a good smile. Whatever you got, let's use it. Let's try to lift this world, make it a better place. That's why we do the show. We'll be back again tomorrow to give you more tools, more information, so you can live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Until tomorrow, make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.